Okay, I've been recording the whole time, but I wouldn't, you know, release any of the pre-chat. Yeah, it's, it's good. And the show is transparent. And so, like, you know, as long as you're happy, if there's anything you're not happy with, of course, I would I would pull that out anyway, and I don't expect anything like that. No, no I'm, but, I'm into no fancy sets and graphics. Yep. Just let this baby go raw. Raw dog, everybody. <laughs> Pound that like button. Let's do this. All right, awesome. Uh, I think this will be right up your wheelhouse. Um, uh, I'm going to basically be asking, you know, just talking about your background. I really want to get into Baltimore and, you know, kind of the buy in the block stuff um, or build. What is the exact phrase? Buy a block. It was buy a block. Buy a block. Buy a block. And kind of want to get into that and just kind of compare and contrast that to maybe your life now and your views now and your philosophy and economic thoughts now. And I want to just talk about also uh, about being a longtime Bitcoiner and, uh, mostly because you know of your experiences and and just recently with Bitcoin 2021 and comparing and contrasting that with your just the whole arc of meeting people and connecting and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. All right, so I'll, I'll do the intro. And we can get right into it. Very cool. All right, Adam Meister, aka the Bitcoin Meister, aka the Disrupt Meister, is a longtime Bitcoiner and content creator that knows that Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin, that believes that personal responsibility is the new counterculture. Adam Meister has strong hands and knows about the deferral of gratification and how Bitcoin bears the fruits of our frugality. Adam Meister, AKA the Bitcoin Meister, AKA the Disrupt Meister, welcome to the Bitcoin Matrix podcast. Pound that like button, how are you? I am great. I loved your frugality tweet from earlier today. I retweeted it. You just basically said it again. That was a great line. And that's your line, baby. You made it up and it was awesome. Well, I, I heard you kind of say something very similar on Vivek's podcast. And I thought it was pretty dope. Just talking about, you know, how Bitcoin bears the fruits of our frugality, uh, the deferral of gratification, which is in your uh, Twitter uh, profile. And and I, that's kind of where I'd like to start. Like, you're a longtime Bitcoiner. What does it feel like or describe that feeling of being in something for so long and, and having it pay off or seeing it work out. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. seeing it as a little seed and then growing into this gigantic tree. Oh man, it is so awesome. It is such a great feeling. You know, to wait for something for a long time to tell the world this thing is gonna be big and then to live to see it happen. It, it has been such an amazing adventure. I've lost, I've, I've learned so many lessons on the way about all the doubters, all the people who didn't believe, all the people who couldn't stick with the program. And then one of my famous lines along the, along the way was, Bitcoin always returns to its all-time high. And to see it return to its all-time high and to know again that it's going to do it again. It's, it's weird to see the cycle repeat itself and that people don't learn the lesson, that people still have weak hands, even though we've seen this play out like at least two other times. But the, it, it has been a wild ride. It, it just an amazing part of my life that the last decade, it made up the most of it. I, I never could have predicted like the people I would have met and the adventures that I've been on and the traveling around. And it, it's, I mean, it is truly living a life. I love not really knowing, you know, I love innovation. I love the newness. And there's always something new. There's always something to look forward to. There's always another having four years away, well, less than that now. So it, it has been the ride of my freaking life, man. Yeah, man. Uh, I've been revisiting a lot of your work, especially your earlier work. And uh, your tweet, your, twi uh, your pinned tweet 
is that video from September uh, 2014, I think it's September 19th, hmm. where you talk about instead of going out and buying a $50,000 car, uh, maybe buy a $25,000 car and buy $10,000 worth of Bitcoin. Uh, and it's really wild to watch that uh, video now. Uh, again, just kind of seeing how far it's come along and, and you just kind of staying true to the same message. You know, uh, how, what do you make of the current uh, environment now with the FUD and the price action? Kind of having seen all this before, yet as we, you know, ripple into new newcomers and pre-coiners and no-coiners, they, they kind of get subjected to the same things that, that kind of been repeated. What, what do you make of the current environment? Well, it's... As I alluded to before, it, it is somewhat shocking that people fall for the same stuff over and over. It's not the exact same stuff, but in 2017, during the bull market, and this, and by the way, people, we're still in a bull market. Uh, people, or some people have defaulted to say we're in a bear market. No, 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 you will see, you will see. But last time in 2017, during the bull market, as it had already returned to its all-time high. It was like 1300 bucks. It had never been that high before. We had Roger Ver and the, uh, and the block size debate. And he was a bigger than life person. And everybody was scared about what Roger Ver had to say. Whatever he said, people panicked. People said it was the end of the Bitcoin. It was the end of the world. The price dropped some whenever he said anything bad, whenever he threatened anything. And now we look back and we laugh. But yet we laugh at that. And now Elon Musk is put on an even bigger pedestal than Roger Ver was. Anything he says, people go crazy. He's, he's the truth speaker. He's the one we need to worry about like we needed to worry about Roger Ver. But no, he will pass. Now, the, it's been scaled up. That's the thing. It's, there's so many more people who are, in the bit, who are into Bitcoin now. So the big voice back then of FUD was a guy that was only known in the Bitcoin space. The big voice of FUD right now in Bitcoin is a guy who's known throughout the whole world. But so many people mm. know Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in the whole world now compared to 2017. It, it's, it, it's so much bigger. It, it's scaled up. It's exponential. How much has grown? So to, to me, that the FUD is the same, but it's a bigger person spreading the FUD is an mm. incredible positive. I mean, we mm. would have given our right, you know what? back in 2017 to have the major Fudster be one of the wealthiest men in the history of mankind. It, it, it's unbelievable if, if you look at it, it from that perspective. One of the wealthiest, most powerful people in the history of mankind is fudding on Bitcoin, sort of, kind of. It's confused about Bitcoin, who, who actually talks about Dogecoin like it's Bcash. He's, an, he's a genius, yet he doesn't know everything that went down with Roger Vale. Like, he, he's... He really is just a bigger version of Roger Ver. It's, it's very odd. But we, we should, you can look at FUD in a positive way that also, I'm looking at it in a positive way because the dude who's FUDing Bitcoin now is so much bigger. And that just shows you how much more important Bitcoin is on the planet Earth right now than it was right. in 2017. Right. Well, you, you seem to travel a lot, uh, maybe a digital nomad of sorts. Uh, internationally, domestically. You, you, you grew up in Baltimore, you love Baltimore, but for maybe the last six to eight years, you've been traveling a lot. And, and I, I think part of your, your MO is to not just be in a Bitcoin bubble, to, but to get outside wherever you are and, and to be a part of life. So what is your like, perspective on 
America over the last eight or 10 years and contrasting that with your Bitcoin experience over the last eight or 10 years? Well, I, I must say, uh, the last one and a half years, I've learned a lot about America compared to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. During the height of my travels from 2016 to 20, my international travels from 2015 to 2019, I was enthralled and so interested by the lifestyles of Australia and New Zealand. They were such safe places and Israel so safe and and, and just seeing Europe so safe and, and Japan and Korea and, and oh, oh, and you know, you could get, it was the Western world. Sure, they didn't have Walmart and everything, but the people, there was this level of sophistication among them. And it, it was interesting. And I, I valued my time in Australia and places. And I encountered Bitcoiners. There were many smart people. There were many people who said they enjoyed freedom. But in the end of the day, Come 2020, all those countries bow down. All of them bow down to the nonsense that's out there. Only a few states in the United States of America had the cojones to, to say what freedom was. In Florida, I love Miami. I lo I've been in Miami quite a lot lately. These other countries, Israel, Australia, New Zealand, bow down disgracefully. The Japanese bow down. They all are scared. Europe. You're horrible, disgraceful. So for the people for years and years to say how horrible the United States of America is, it is the best country on the face of the planet Earth. The state of Florida is the best state. Maybe South Dakota too, I don't know. But Florida is the third most populated state in the United States of America. You gotta pick one of the big four. That's where you wanna be. Texas is, is, is turning a little bit too. But man, what's going on in Australia now? What's going on in New Zealand with that horrible woman at the head there? It might be a beautiful place, but you can't get into it. You can't get out of it to be a slave in a beautiful place. What the heck does that mean? No, I, 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 I so, but this, this goes back to another, to Bitcoin. If, if they're not willing to stand up for their own personal freedoms, to go walk outside, and baby, you better believe every single day of this thing, I've been jogging outside. Just like you said, I make sure I'm outside every day, seeing what real life is, seeing, you know, who's scared, who's not scared, whatever. And yeah, it's a different feel when you're in LA than when you're in Miami. It, it was totally, totally different, okay. But I've seen in between also, Salt Lake City is okay, whatever. Baltimore was scared at first. I, I, I've seen it all. So you, you got to wonder, though, about these countries, though, that are so willing to worship their government. They're the same people that'll be like, yeah, for the good of the people, they say Bitcoin is bad. Let's totally regulate it. Let's totally go down that road. The government knows what's best. Because what I've seen, what I've seen with my own eyes is that in the United States, there are plenty of people willing to stand up for their rights. In these other countries, my Lord, I can't even get into these other countries. I want to go visit Israel again. Of course I want to. I mean, I, I want to go, sort of go back to Australia, not as much as I wanted to. I mean, I loved going to Australia, but I've got a completely different feel for it now, what, I, what I've seen develop over this time. So uh, another thing, though, e even before that I've seen all these people become C-U-C-Ks to the virus, okay, mm -hmm. which they've become in all these countries. Sure, there's little resistance here and there, but again, in the United States, we have 50 different, that's the beauty of the United States, 50 different experiments. So if California, with their you know, beautiful haired governor, if he, you know, if he wants to be restrictive over there, then you go move to Florida. 
And even in California, there were ways to fight back against him. He gave up once they, they, they had the recall effort. He got scared and some of this mass stuff went away, okay? But I, I will say that the United States of America, during all my travels, even before this, I realized it is the capital of Bitcoin. It is the capital of cryptocurrency. It is the capital of innovation. You hear all this stuff about China. Sure, they had the mining or whatever. They weren't innovating a darn thing, okay? They weren't people, it's, it's more people in the United States that are buying it. They don't have to buy it. It's not like a life or death thing, but the companies are in the United States. The, the, the holders are in the United States. The, the innovators, the, the content creators are mostly in the United States. There are some other good countries too, but you know, people are always saying, Africa is the future of Bitcoin. Dude, I've been to Africa, okay? I mean, I met the most, uh, the most Bitcoin, most important Bitcoiner in Mozambique back in, back in 2016. He didn't even have any Bitcoin, okay? So, I mean, this is, this is how far behind things are. And, and sure, it's going to help people in Africa more than it's going to help people in the United States. But they got to be proactive and get into it. They had years and years to get into it. I've been screaming to South Africans, your rand is trash. That's their, uh, that's their uh, mm -hmm. currency. Save yourself before you become Zimbabwe. Because their leaders have openly threatened to become Zimbabwe, saying they're going to confiscate land. They're not hiding anything. And this, is, this has been known since 2016, 2017, 2018. And I will hand it to some guys in, in uh, South Africa. They've really done well because of this. Uh, but the, the rand is a piece of dung. And the, but yeah, Africa is the future, but the people haven't jumped into it. What's evident, what's apparent when you travel around the world, Americans have jumped into it. Americans are innovators. There's something, Americans aren't scared of marketing. None of the other people market. I mean, it's just, there's a whole different, you know, the whole different ways of living in the, uh, in the rest of the world. But when they call us cowboys and they think that's an insult, Oh, baby, I'm proud to be a freaking cowboy more than ever. It has been great to be, quote unquote, stuck in America than stuck in freaking New Zealand during this, this whole situation. And I haven't been stuck in America because I can travel to at least 48 of the states. Hawaii is a complete, you know, pain in the toughest to get to, apparently. Mm -hmm. And I think Alaska is all, once you get to Alaska, I think you're all right, but there were restrictions, whatever. So I've been to plenty of states during the last uh, one and a half years. And yeah, Florida is the, the best one I, I've seen. Sure. Do you think America is changing rapidly as we speak? And what do you make of you know, current economic policy in America with UBI, QE, and what looks like never-ending stimulus? Well, there's, there's always, God willing, there's always gonna be that, this cowboy spirit in America. And those people, that they believe what I believe. Fitting in is freaking overrated. They're not giving it up, okay? But the general trend to fit in is to be more like Australia, to be authoritarian, to worship China, to, to want safety, this, to want to be a victim. So unfortunately, amongst the mainstream normies, they are going in the complete opposite direction of victimhood, of blindly listening to the government. For all the people out there that say the United States dollar is going to be inflated away or, or hyperinflated away and Bitcoin is going to take over and become the world reserve currency. No, it's not. These people in America, they will go down with the ship with the United States dollar. They will gladly pay all their taxes in it. They will gladly accept the Fed coin and be monitored, okay? And the wealth of the United States, of all these CUCKs in the United States worshiping the dollar 
it ain't going nowhere, baby. It ain't going nowhere. There, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't get the Bitcoin because Bitcoin is a far better option. It, the, the dollar is being inflated away. It's not being hyperinflated away, but it's losing value. It's so obvious. But these I call it happyflation. The media has already started talking about yeah, happyflation. You, yeah. you know, it's, inflation is good. Oh, we're you not really having it. Oh, it's just in your wood. It's not in your, you know, ignore that your apartment's going up in rent. Ignore that your house is worth more. Ignore all the important things. No, no, it's, it's just wood that's going up. You're fine. It's, it's all going to turn away. It's all, Biden's going to fix it. But, you know, believe, believe the pesky and, and everybody else. And half the people are going to believe it. And some of those people are incredibly, are, are, are all middle-class people. As long as the middle-class people want their, McMansions, and they want to satisfy the, the, their kids and get every little thing the media says you need to. They're going to blindly worship. That doesn't mean you have to, but a lot of people feel pressure too. A lot of people that would be free thinkers, they can't. They can't be unique beasts. They have to go through it with this nonsense. And I'm out there trying to tell people it's not just about big. I mean, Bitcoin is a way to ground yourself in being a unique beast. In being in fitting in is overrated because we're going to be called the worst. We are being called the worst names in the book, and this was predicted too. We're being called terrorists. We're being called you know radical rightists, radical this, radical that. We were there on January sixth. Whatever, bring it, baby, bring it. Call me every name in the freaking book. You can't take away my Bitcoin, and I got a lot of it, so I can say whatever I want to say. And it, and this is this is what I you know this isn't for everyone, but for the people who get it. They're probably, I want to be like that too. I want to be rich and, and have something that they can't take away from me. Because let me tell you, the federal government, they're trying to scare everybody about, you know, every once in a while they float a little story about Bitcoin. They don't understand it. They're the people, quote unquote, working for the federal government are the fat people working at the post office, okay? And they're not even working now. The federal government isn't even in their offices. So occasionally they put out some scary thing about Bitcoin. They don't know the first thing about it. They couldn't explain to you what Bcash is to Bitcoin. And that's a very important to know the difference and how Bcash, they don't know about forks. They don't know about anything. They, they just put out scary stuff and they rely on people reporting themselves. And yeah, you can do that. You can be a CUCK to the government or whatever, but they can't take it. Some of these senators and congressmen are, <laughs> say they, Bitcoin should add uh, something that identifies users into it. They don't even get it. They don't get it that there's not some central, that there's a leader, that there's no leader. They don't know that there's dudes that, that, that talk half the, and then CoinDesk writes an article about them, like they're authoritative, smart people. They're morons. They're complete morons. But there's a few people that kind of get it, and they're generally on the good side of Bitcoin. But I, I would not worry about what the leaders say about Bitcoin. They got bigger things to worry about right now, all right? They, they you know, Bitcoin is... It, it grows and grows in importance in some of their plates because it's just a way for them to get people envious of the rich. Okay. It's just a tool that, you know, Oh, well, we're, we're going to take from them to give to you. It's just something to aim their redistribution eyes on, but it's not, there's so many other shields for Bitcoin that they're going to really hit. They're going to hit the ICOs. They're going to hit the uh, NFTs. They're going to hit all the centralized cryptocurrency stuff, the ripples of the world. And there's so many of them. So some of those might be, you know, taken out by the government here and there. And then they're going to try to confuse the people, say, look, we got Bitcoin because we took out Ripple. And half the people will believe it. 
But I, as a Bitcoiner, I'm not too worried about the government doing anything to Bitcoin, but they're idiots. They don't get it. Even though Coindesk and Cointelegraph writes about the, you know, the, the Congress people from California and the what's her face from Michigan and, and the one from Minnesota, like they're smart, like they know anything about money. They're broke. That's why they're in freaking Congress. They, they have to convey hatred toward other groups in order to, you know, gain funding to, to have lavish lifestyles, okay? And so you know, it's paid off so far. Why not attack the Bitcoiners that they don't understand? But they, that's, that's a, that's a they, don't put them on pedestals, ignore them. Don't be scared by them. Some people are scared. Some people are scared and they sell their Bitcoin. Not a good, you, you will regret it one day. I look, you know, you, you asked me about my thoughts on, on what's changed over the years. I mean, I have seen so many different regret stories. They're all a little bit different. Like, yeah, man, I sold my $10 Bitcoin for a hundred bucks. I'm a genius. And, and, or, you know, oh dude, it crashed down to 3000. It's going lower. I'm selling now. <laughs> or, you know, from March the 12th and 13th of last year, when it crashed down to uh, 4,000. Oh man, uh, I sold all my, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I can't take this. That was such a glorious day for me when I bought two Bitcoin for a total of $10,000. Oh, and, I mean, that's hardly a year ago, hardly a year ago. <laughs> and now they're worse, you know, it's like having a year's salary. Of course, I've never sold a Bitcoin for fiat, so it's it's not a, a year's salary in fiat, but you know, you get the picture. But I, I see those stories, when I, when I see the panic on those days, I'm just like, dude, you're gonna learn the hardest way to regret this, man. And it's always fun to look back on those stories. Yeah, it seems like such sour grapes right now at 31,000. It's kind of hard to believe, considering where we were a year ago or two years ago. It's quite astonishing. I'm kind of curious, though, do you think the federal union, the, the national government, the American project as a 50-state union is going to last the next 40 years and, and on and beyond? Yeah, uh, I think we might have some serious threats of secession and pseudo-secession where strong alliances are formed between states without the states leaving the union. And mm. perhaps those strong alliances will prove to be so successful that the woke states will be pressured to be like, okay, on a, we gotta give in on the federal level and be more like these pseudo secessionist states that have formed these agreements that are better economically. I do not think the United States of, I, I think we'll still have the United States of America, but I think we could have some trauma where there's almost, what I just said, there's almost secession where these units between states are formed, these alliances that have never been so strong before. You know, right now, I mean, we have 50 separate states. We've never really had states forming these packs where there's you know, specific rules only in these three states and to fight what the federal government is doing. Uh, you know, the, the closest we've had is, well, it's further away actually, is when the states actually seceded. I, I don't think we'll get to that. And I don't even know if that's even legal anymore. So, you know, the Supreme Court might say, you know, that's, that's a, you can't leave or something. That, yeah, I, I'm not into Supreme Court law or anything or how things should be interpreted. You know, there's a lot of leftists that say, oh, they cry about the Supreme Court being so, 
so on the right side of thing, you know, the, 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 the right side of the political spectrum. I don't know about that. Um, I, I, I really think the Supreme Court would uh, not allow states to, to secede at this point. Um, so, uh, which is what the, I think the left would want. Like they, they want mm. totalitarian control. They, I think, yeah, this would be an interesting poll. Uh, you know, ask people on the, the left, the people that are talking, you know, ask people who like a critical race theory if they think it would be okay for Texas to leave the union and then ask people who are against critical race theory, if they think it would be okay for Texas to leave the union, I think there would be a, uh, the people who like critical race theory, the totalitarians would be like, no, 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 no. Texas can't, even though we hate the people in Texas, they can't leave. But the people, the people who like uh, that they're against critical race theory would be like, sure, Texas could leave. Sure. California could leave. Like I'm of, I'm of the persuasion, like, yeah, I wouldn't mind a California left. It wouldn't it wouldn't be a fa- I mean, if a state, I, I think that's part of being part of the United States is the ability to leave. I think the Supreme right. Court will misinterpret that because we had the Civil War back in the day. I think that changed some stuff. Um, but no, I, 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 if it was up to me, I would let any state leave. I would make it easier for parts of states to form other states. But there's these totalitarian people that are like, no, 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 you know. Uh, part of Oregon can't join Idaho. That's that's just totally. Even though it's not their counties in Oregon, even though they would still have the uh, you know the majority of the electoral votes in in, in you know the state the, the counties that stayed behind. There's a whole movement for part of Oregon to change Idaho or to to join Idaho. I think that's freaking awesome for Eastern Oregon <laughs> to join Idaho. What's wrong with that? But there's some people. No, no, no. They're <laughs> they're against that. It's the people in Portland. No, you'll still have your Portland. You'll still have everything. What's what's so. Uh, but I think I think we're in having we're not a true democracy. People don't get that. Right. It's 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 a, a constitutional republic, and all the people that keep screaming, "Oh, we almost lost our dem- democracy on January 6th. These are the people who don't get what our democracy is. They do want to lose. They don't want a constitutional republic. They want to get rid of the electoral college. They want to get rid. They want it to be a pure democracy where the majority can enslave the minority. That is a true democracy. All right. If you get more votes, the most votes, you can make up any law that you want to, and you enslave the other people. That is what the people that keep screaming about all these threats to democracy, the threats to American democracy, threats to American democracy are them. Are them. They do not do believe think, in the constitutional republic. Regardless of who the threat is coming from, do you think it's a legitimate threat to our uh, constitutional republic that we might become a democracy of true sorts and that we're headed towards a tyranny of the majority? I think that we're going to get close to that. And that is when the states will form these alliances. Mm. That'll be like, we're not listening to your federal mandate that you voted upon us. Whatever slave law that they come out with that's beyond the pale Texas, Florida will not accept it and say, we are forming a union that is, will not accept this specific law, whatever it is, be it uh, the Elizabeth Warren wealth tax, God, God willing, let, let, well, I don't want that to ever happen, but if God willing, if, if, that, if that happened, God forbid if it happened, God willing, the, the states would say, that's it, that's a line in the sand. Anyone who wants to protect their wealth, we're not enforcing that. We're not letting federal officials come to here to arrest you. Just like right now in certain states and cities, they don't accept the federal laws for uh, immigration, for illegal, illegal immigrants, okay? The, 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 there's certain federal laws that are not enforced by cities, okay? Right, and right. If, if it, it, 
if there's a horrific federal law that goes against citizens of the United States of America in, in a financial way, then yeah, there better be some states that have the cojones to stand up to it. So I, I think there are it will gain traction. The screaming Karens of the world don't know anything about what a, a, a constitutional republic is, nor do they care. They just want to be safe and protect me from this virus that I can't even see and make my child suffocate. And oh, I wish it was legal to give my child this needle that I don't that might make their heart blow up or make them infertile. <laughs> they think rather they're so down that horrible hole. Okay, so we're talking about you know high level, very high level stuff. Uh, compared to what they, they care about, okay? So because they don't care about the high-level stuff, they they openly say, look what China did. Look how great China was. They are saying, we love authoritarianism. We love random changes of the rules that just come from this wise government that could do whatever it wants to for the good of the state. If the state says it's for the good of the state, then it's for the good of the state, we will blindly obey. That is fascism. They say they're against that. They don't know what fascism is, okay? That is for the good of the state, authoritarianism. That is fascism. And so, yes, we, we're going, there will be some authoritarian moves, but no, we will not, they're, they're not abolishing the constitution and uh, there will be states that put their foot down and be sanctuary states for the federal, for, for the way things are supposed to be. That's what we're going to end up with. Yeah. I'm kind of curious what you think of El Salvador nation state adoption. I know you've been thinking about this for a few years now. Uh, I feel like it's come a lot quicker than, than I've expected. I don't know how legitimate this move is on the chessboard and how things play out from here. But something I'm really thinking about is if there is nation state adoption, uh, I, I do think that Bitcoin, I think of Bitcoin more as tearing it all down, as destroying the current system. And I'm curious, because I, I feel that, or I get the impression that you think that Bitcoin is just going to exist alongside the 80% world. And, and I wonder if that means whether we are forking as in humanity, whether it's in narratives and news and language, because money is language and a way we communicate. So I'm kind of curious what you make of El Salvador and and sort of the the future, what, what Bitcoin does and whether it, it really destroys things or is just going to coexist. I, I, I think uh, you, you say live side by side. I say live in the Bitcoin overlay. They will coexist. We are above the normie world, okay? Above, you know, there are all these people for years and years that think that they're so smart and everything. Well, if you really want to be so smart financially and be above and better than everybody, they get into the best money. You'll live above all them and don't cry if they keep on doing stupid things with their money. That's just the way it is. But we, in terms of El Salvador, and so I think there will be countries that will opt into the Bitcoin overlay that are in positions where they just, it, it's better for them to get into Bitcoin or to get into cryptocurrency or to get away from the US dollar, be it temporarily or forever, okay? But what El Salvador has done is nice. It's, it's not exactly what I thought would happen. What I thought would happen and what will happen is some smaller country 
will have it in their reserves. Instead of having gold and United States dollars, they will actually own Bitcoin. And that will trigger other countries to do the same. Because in the end of the day, countries are just like humans. Fitting in is overrated, but most of them want to fit in. So if one does it, then a lot of others will do it uh, because it won't be so taboo anymore. Right. So I, I think it's a good gimmick for um, El Salvador. It's something that's going to bring them economic interest uh, and, and make them unique and maybe give some wealth to their people. Uh, that, that, that it is legal tender there. But the bigger thing to me would be is if he said, this is what our reserves are now. It's all in Bitcoin. That would be huge. And they wouldn't have to worry about any IMF restrictions at that point. Because the, the, these worldwide organizations don't like this announcement by El Salvador, which is a good sign. Um, but I don't know how strong he can be mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, if he gets sanctioned or something, mm -hmm. uh, if he doesn't actually own Bitcoin. And so I don't try to go too crazy about this. And, the, you know, I, I don't think it's going to even be implemented until September. Now, you know, there's a lot of people saying that it's complete nonsense and that he should never have tried it. No, no, I like experimentation. I, sure. I think it's very much worth it. We're just going to have to see how it plays out. But do I see every country in the world going down this path one day? No, most of them want to retain power over their people. The best way to do that would to be have their own Fed coins and they could spy on their, every single uh, financial move of their people. So I do foresee the spread of Fed coins to every country on earth. Some aren't going to be able to pull it off at all. So they will be slaves of other Fed coins. Like these African countries, they're not, their leaders are not disciplined enough to have their own um, Fed coins. They're going to get too greedy and print too much of it and not be able to, and they'll become wealthy off of it. That, that's where their lack of discipline comes in. They're so corrupt that they're just going to screw up. And so the people of their country are going to turn their worthless new Fed coins into like US dollar Fed coins or Japanese Fed coins or Chinese, the, the better ones. So some of this Fed coin stuff is going to be very interesting. There are going to be some very, the dollar is going to become stronger worldwide because of Fed coins, mm. because people are not going to be stuck in their nation state coins anymore. And there's going to be easy on ramps from one Fed coin to another Fed coin. What they should be doing once they're totally digitized like that is they get the Bitcoin, but they're not just people, people will be scared. It's a 20 percenter thing. The next, unfortunately, the next step in the evolution of money for the normies is get into your freaking Fed coin of your nation. If it sort of fails, get into a better Fed coin, which will be most likely the Euro Fed coin or the United States Fed coin or the Yen coin or the Chinese coin. And then you'll, you know, you're in those ecosystems and you're doing better, but you're being monitored totally. Your country totally adopts those coins. And then you're just, again, you're, you're in the same slave situation that you were in beforehand. The smart people, though, will get in the Bitcoin. And I, you know what? I would rather there be Fed coins on Earth than what we have right now. Because I think if every country has Fed coins, it will be that much easier for the 20 percenters in those countries to get in the Bitcoin. It's a better on-ramp 
than what we have right now, which is most countries aren't very well digitized and it's, it's hard. There are limits to getting into Bitcoin that these, these, these nation state Fed coins will make it easier for people to get into Bitcoin. So that, that's, that's my silver lining on all, all these Fed coins. Even the idiots in America that will worship the Fed coin, it will, some of them will wake up and say, no, wait a second, I've gotten used to this digital thing. Why don't I experiment with this non-nation state Fed coin? Sure, they're saying I'm being uh, anti-patriotic, but let me, let me try it out. But don't worry, you will be called a traitor to the United States of America. Uh, by these Elizabeth Warrens of the world, if she hasn't even said it yet, I think she has said something. If you if you get if you buy Bitcoin, they're going to call you a traitor. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing that the leftist, you know, growing up, you never would have thought that leftists would call people traitors more than uh, Republicans. But that's what's happening now. It's it's so it's it's weird. These people stand for nothing. These these left versus right paradigm people. It's it's only about convenience. For them okay stand for something that is bitcoin stand for freedom stand for being a unique beast being an individual not being a freaking collectivist and making your own personal responsibility it, the one thing about these people that are political slaves political hacks they really don't believe in personal responsibility in, in the end of the day they want somebody else making their decisions they put these people on pedestals uh and they're willing to you know go where the wind blows that uh you know some now we have people on the right that you know care about this uh you know capitalism is all about individual freedom about starting your own business about you know if you get big then awesome you got big but we've got these right people on the right who believe in stakeholder capitalism now and that's, that's totally contradictory stakeholder capitalism is a negation of property rights it's saying you as a company you have to worry about what people who have no rights to your property have to say. That's insanity. As, a, as an owner of a company, you should care about your stakeholders, not your, your shareholders, not, the, not, not, not the, the people from outside, okay? You should only care about your shareholders. This, this, this stakeholder stuff, it, it, it's, it's nonsense. It's like, oh, the, the, the poor, because you're in Baltimore City, you need to worry about somebody living on, on, in the ghetto of North Avenue, okay? No, you don't. That's not your fault that somebody's living in the ghetto of North Avenue or, or, or Pulaski Street or whatever. That's not, you don't have to give them money. What, what's up with that? You, you're trying to make your company good. But there's people or, or people on the right who say, no, we, we should force these companies to stick, to stick, to keep their failing businesses in these failing towns because we need to keep these failing towns alive. No, you don't. The people of the family towns can come up with their own businesses. Or guess what? There's 50 people can move. Just because you grew up in a town doesn't give you the right, you know, if it starts going down the, the crap hole for the government to build government businesses in your town to save it. But we have people on the right that, 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 that think this stuff. So, it, it, again, be an individual. Think, think, think what freedom truly is and what state intervention truly is and what property rights truly are. And uh, if you really understand what property rates really are, you'll, you'll get a new perspective on life. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I think it's a good time to turn to, you know, skin in the game and being a stakeholder and what you set out to do shortly after, I think, college. Well, I'm kind of curious what you, going into college and maybe during college, what you thought your life would be, like in terms of a vocation or a career, and then what you ended up doing after college. 
you know, growing up as a kid, all I wanted to do was get to, into the best college possible. You know, go, growing up in a, in a Jewish household on the East Coast, I mean, that, I think that's what every Jewish kid wants, to go to the best freaking college possible. That, that's all. Why do you want to go to the best college possible? Because that's what you do. That's, you must do well in school. And it's not like my parents were even putting pressure on me. So I didn't have like, I just knew if I go to the get best college possible, life will work out for me. I will become wealthy and successful. So I wanted to become wealthy and successful. Now, my mom, you know, I get into college, I'm 17 years old or whatever. And she's like, well, you've got to pick a major. And she's like, you know, accounting, accounting. And I was like, well, I do like business and stuff. And I'll do business, but I don't know my, you know. So I picked, once I was there, I picked marketing, you know, it seems interesting. And so I thought I will get into marketing and the internet was growing. And I'm like, I want to go into internet and marketing. I got to be, because it's so funny. The colleges were, I went to Washington University in St. Louis, which is a great school. I got into the best college I possibly could have gotten into with my freaking grades. I, like, I, I was like a B student at, at a good private school, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't get A's or anything. So I don't know why Washington would even let me in. I, you know, I did well in the SAT and everything, but uh, pff, it's probably at the bottom of their class. There are a lot of smart kids at Washington, a lot, a lot of smart, definitely higher IQ than I was, but I got in and, um, and I, I just, you know, I, I, I saw this internet thing was growing, but the colleges were like, still, Washington was like, go work for Anderson Consulting. All these big mega corporate jobs. I'm like, wait a second, we've got all these, we've all got these dot coms and all this innovation search engines are coming up. Why don't you have connections to them yet? You know, the colleges were behind the times with, with that thing, but that's what I wanted to get into. That's, so by the end of college, I knew I wanted to work in Silicon Valley or Silicon Alley in, in Manhattan. Um, and just, I knew I made my own Baltimore Ravens uh, HTML pages. So all my spare time, besides partying like a rock star and trying to get women in college, um, I, I did HTML and, um, and web pages, which was a really good use of my spare time. The drinking wasn't, it was fun. The partying was fun. The women at the end, that was fun. The se especially senior year, that was good. But um, yeah, and so, and I, but I was just like, they were, I, I was thinking the other day when I was a junior in college, my buddy from uh, St. Louis, and I, I don't, I didn't, I, I still don't agree with him on a lot of things, but back then, he was like, why, why are you a Democrat? Why? And I'm just like, my parents are Democrats. And I thought that was a good answer. This, a kid who gets in the Wash U, that, I thought that was a great answer. Mm. And, and that just shows you, smart kids, they don't think about anything. They don't think. A lot of them, I was not thinking. I, when I look back, I don't have any regrets in life. I, that's one of my, my sayings, don't, no regrets, no regrets. But when I look back to college, I'm just like, Dude, there were so many opportunities out there to learn and do all this stuff. I was just in the party. I wasn't using the full potential of my brain at all in college. I just wanted to get the good grades because I thought if I get these good grades, I'll get, I'll get a good job. I mean, I just, I just thought that's the way life worked. But that's not – a lot of these leftist people who get into all these leftist studies, they quickly learn, like, you know, I got great grades. I'm so smart. I can't get a job. It's not handed to you. You can go to freaking Harvard and all these other you – know, Ivy League schools better than Wash U. And you're not handed anything. And, and that creates a lot of resentment in today's world. But good for me. I didn't, did, I didn't feel resentment. I didn't uh, feel frustration. I got a job in the dot-com stuff. And, you know, it's still, I, you know, I didn't care much about politics. But getting, 
getting it, you know, working in the dot-com world, it did, it fit me well because I was a unique beast. I could not fit in the corporate world at all. I was, even in the dot-com world, I was very frustrated by the MBAs that would try to tell me things that didn't get like the internet side of things. They just were ingrained in the way an MBA thinks, okay? And just everything's gotta be run this traditional business model from 1987 or something like that, mm -hmm. that Lee Iacocca taught him or something like that. I, I don't know. And the, I knew the world was a changing. I knew, I mean, it's the 2000s, dude. This is the dot com. This is it. So I actually grew frustrated. I worked in New York. I worked in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area in Silicon Valley. And I decided, you know what? I'm, I'm getting paid well. I saved a lot of money. I owned the worst car in the parking lot. I owned a Chevy Cavalier in, in, in my last job in Silicon Valley. By far the worst, that was the only American car in the parking lot. They all had mm -hmm. Japanese or German or, you know, very, very nice, very nice cars. The first time I was ever in a Porsche. Um, I decided just to go back to Baltimore and work for myself and just do my own little thing. And because I, I was like, I want free time. I value that. And that's um, once living in Baltimore again and renting, I'm like, I don't want to pay rent anymore. I want to own a house in, in these bad neighborhoods, you can get houses, gigantic houses for cheap, but I can't do this by myself. So let me get a group of people together and we'll all, uh, we'll all buy houses in a bad uh, block. We'll all buy, it'll be the buy a block project. And we'll buy, you know, I'll buy a 40, buy a $41,000 house and uh, live in it and have an adventure and get other people to buy $41,000 houses. And we did that, I mean, it's a long story short, we did that in Reservoir Hill. It was an incredible adventure. I got to see local politics, how corrupt it was. And I was of the mindset, you know, sacrifice yourself for this greater good. Sacrifice yourself for Baltimore. You know, I'm doing this for Baltimore. Now, at the same time, it was a great adventure. It was, I was living cheap. I was, didn't have to, you know, work for the man at all. But there was danger to it. And, and eventually my life was put at risk. Uh, so I was, uh, people did try to mug me eventually, but that, and that led me to give up on that dream and really wake me up to uh, traveling around the world. But so, um, yeah, I, I became more and more of a unique beast. Once, you know, working for yourself, you have free time to learn from the internet. I learned about these alternative finance sites and that's how I learned about Bitcoin. And I learned about anarchy. I had no idea what the world word anarchy really meant and that uh, what libertarianism was. And, you know, I grew up in a state of mind where, you know, the government was just something that was there and something that had to be listened to. And through the alternative economic sites and perhaps alternative political sites, I realized how horribly corrupt the, the government was on a federal level, not just, I, I'd seen it on a local level at that point, um, but you don't, you can ignore the government. You can, be your own boss in life and not worry about who's the president. And it's not the freaking end of the world if Obama becomes president. And you, I mean, you can make money during Obama presidency. You can make money during the Bush presidency. You can make money during the Trump presidency. You just have to be proactive. And one thing that I remembered, you know, Doug Casey said, he was the first one, that, you know, during the Great Depression, you know, one third of the people out there did well. They did well. So when this whole uh, virus thing came around, I'm like, dude, this is this is nothing, man. I'm going to do great. And this has been the best financial life, year of my life uh, during this virus thing. 
but, but some people just totally shut down on it because they, they think they're in a great depression. They go with whatever the media tells them. There are a lot of people regretting this last year in life now that they were totally locked down, that they didn't jump on the opportunities that were out there, especially last March, the opportunities that were out there. But yes, so living in Baltimore City, being a unique beast there, owning my own house in, in a bad neighborhood, trying to change the neighborhood, and then almost dying there, um, woke me up to like, you got to enjoy every moment of life, be a unique beast, don't sacrifice your, there's no glory. All these people love me in Baltimore. They love me for trying to fix up this neighborhood, for trying to save Baltimore. For, they, they were not, they don't even know, some of the people still think I live there, they're so freaking clueless, okay? Um, would they respect me for becoming a millionaire because of Bitcoin? No, they would not. They would think they would not think that. That is some, for me. That is something to be proud of. That I that I did this on my own. I took the risk. I bought the Bitcoin. I saved the money, and I I did well for myself. I think I'm I'm very proud of that. Now I again I had fun, you know, living a frugal lifestyle in Baltimore. I loved my house. I had a great time in it. But you know, had I been seriously maimed or injured. Uh, from living there, and I saw all sorts. Of, people were murdered on my block I, 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 through through the years. I see drug dealers. I see everything. Prostitutions, uh, sexual acts going on in, my, in the breezeway between my row house and another. One day, I start smelling something down there. I'm like, "Who's down there? Ugh. What are you doing? I'm smoking crack." I mean, that was a legitimate answer. I'm uh, smoking crack on your private property. And it was, uh, freaking unbelievable stuff. So no, that. That kind of sacrifice is insane. That, that's but that's what people that's what people want. That's what the, most of the world wants you to be to be this mm -hmm. sac sacrificial lamb for some greater good. And uh, no, fi do, fix yourself, live your life. You only get one life, people. You only get one life. So live it to the freaking max. And fitting in is totally overrated. Yeah, it's so you know interesting the comparison and the con contrast between you know that Bitcoin mentality and you know, kind of you were trying to save this block on Baltimore. And in, in a lot of regards, that's pretty badass. And in a lot of regards, that's not exactly what, you know, I think society expected. They did expect you to go to college and to become wealthy and go live on the good block, probably. Yes. And I, I don't know, you know, if your family, your parents and siblings, I don't know if you have siblings, but were excited to visit you in your new home. Uh, yet you set out on this mission of changing this block, of changing Baltimore, changing the world, one house, one block at a time. Uh, you know, and I think in a lot of respects, a lot of people don't necessarily see the difference between uh, quitting and moving on. Quitting is, you know, I'm not gonna finish this, I suck, I'm, I'm done. And moving on is I've tried, I've hardest, I've succeeded here, but I have decided this is not the best thing for me anymore. Uh, and a lot of people stick to that first thing and it's a cause and, and it's gonna, they're going to go down with the ship. Uh, you know, so how, what was that like for you, this, pro this process of going in, trying to save the world one block at a time, having a good time a little bit during it, you're partying, you're meeting people, you're inspiring people, you own a house, you have now, you're, you're changing from a renter to uh, a younger person who, uh, who owns a home. And, and now you, you don't just own a home, you got to go to, deal with the municipal uh, regulations and politicians and the courts and the, the garbage pickup and, and the violence. What was that like? And, and, and what was it like to move on from that? Well, you pound that like button for your, your saying. There's a difference between quitting and moving on. There's a difference between, but there's some people that are so stubborn, stubborn 
that have so much conviction, like me, they can't move on sometimes. And there did come a point where I was like, this is too much now. I, I can't do this forever. I can't do this forever. So I needed that wake up call of the two guys trying to mug me. When those two guys tried to mug me, it was a very, you know, I just ran. I saw the gun and I ran and I was so happy that I was alive. I never had bad dreams about it. It was, so, it was just, but that, at that point I knew I'm not dying for Baltimore. I'm not dying for Baltimore. And I think, you know, there, there, if you truly enjoy, you know, I, I did truly enjoy trying to save Baltimore. I did truly enjoy it. So if that's what you truly enjoy, truly enjoy it. Like, you know, don't do it because that's what you're now. Yes, you're absolutely right. My family expected me to move to a better neighborhood. They were not in, they did not like visiting me there. Um, there was a lot of stress on, on my family. I remember when I finally told my grandmother that I was moving, she was uh, so happy uh, about it. Um, so, and I, I couldn't, I never told my grandmother the story of the mugging during her lifetime, as I knew that would just, just destroy her. Um, and so, no, uh, it's, uh, th there's something to be said also in, 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 to get too stuck on something, to not be able to change and to modify your mindset a bit, okay? Like with me, I had to do a new show every single, single day for Bitcoin. Like I was addicted and it was fun at, at one point. I got 2000 shows in the freaking archives now, okay? So anyone can watch those shows. There's still people that want me to do a new show every day. I, ha I had to move on. I had to move on from it. Because I realized, you know, you're not quitting. You're just, you can't do it anymore. You did what you did. There's only so much you can do. There's only so much I could do for Baltimore, okay? There was only, until I was gonna kill myself, literally. I mean, I, 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 I could have been killed. So that's really, you know, you bringing up that line is something that everyone has to realize. People who have, I, I scream and yell about Bitcoin conviction, okay? But what I'm talking about is having a strong hand and not being scared of, of you know, not selling. But God forbid you have a life-threatening cancer. That goes out the window, dude. You, you, you don't stick with that conviction. You're like, I'm, I'm liquidating as much. I got to stay alive. I got to. So, again, there's conviction and then there's like saving your own freaking life, okay? So, saving your own freaking life goes way beyond conviction, okay? And, and that is what some people have to, to understand. But, again, to have the self-discipline, to have conviction is is a skill that so few people have these days so i i had that in baltimore um i was when i look back at what i did it was a very satisfying experience and in the end of the day what did i end up with i ended up with two houses and a lot of that money was converted into bitcoin and a lot of that money was converted into money i still live out off of um it, so i don't have to sell my Bitcoin. So they were very, very positive things. But I, I just want to say I had that. I didn't have a good, at first, I had this mindset that was not very pure capitalistic. I told the people who bought my, who bought the houses at first, like, don't try to get a profit from this. We're just trying to save Baltimore. And in the end, it will work out. I didn't want investors to buy. I only wanted people who would live in the houses to buy. But that is, you know, that is the vilification of investors. I had that in my early mindset when I was in, in Reservoir Hill, that investors were bad. And that is wrong. And so I have learned over time 
I've matured over, and it, it takes, it takes living a life to really, to get that sometimes. But it's just the evil fat cat capitalist Mark Zuckerberg, they're easy to, to, to hate. They, they're easy to be envious of. It's easy to, to, to pick on people that are doing well and people who just want to make money, but they're not doing something that is morally wrong. If they, I mean, they're just trying to improve themselves. Investors make the world go round too, okay? If we didn't have investors, we wouldn't have new businesses. We wouldn't have new endeavors. So that's, that's what people have to realize, the, Mar the Marxists of the world, the people who think there's going to be a magic If we just have a revolution, we're going to end up with a magic utopia and we won't need capitalism anymore. No, 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 no. Who will create? Who will create? So I, something that I've learned uh, toward the end of my stay in Baltimore was that, yes, greed is good. You know, mm -hmm. capitalism is good. Investors are good. And this Bitcoin is the pure version of all of that. There is no regulation. There is no one that's going to change the rules of the game to put on spe in special fascistic speculations because the capitalism that we have in the United States right now is basically fascism. They pick winners of lo and losers. It, the whole world, that is what capitalism is. We saw that firsthand when they deemed certain businesses essential and certain businesses were not essential. That is fascism. That is not true capitalism right there. That's picking winners and loot. We're shutting you down. You had your private property free free market business. Now you're not allowed to run it anymore. And sure, we might get, throw you some dollars. Uh, no, that is that is not true capitalism. People think that is, think that's capitalism. So I I've definitely gained a great a greater appreciation of property rights through owning property, but then through owning Bitcoin and seeing how easy it is for people to have their property taken away, but seeing how hard it is uh, for Bitcoin to be uh, taken away. And so many people who get into this do not understand what unconfiscatable means and what you know, a solid monetary policy that isn't gonna change means. Bitcoin has the most unchangeable monetary policy of any country on earth. All the others, they can change. You don't know how much dollars they're going to print or what new rules they're going to make. Bitcoin, it stays the same. And any true investor, any true wealthy person, they want stability. They want boring. They don't want one in a minute every four years for things to sort of change or to change by a lot. It, it, it's terrible. And that is the glory of Bitcoin. It's beyond politics. It, it's, just, it's just pure math. It's, it's not changing. And for some people, they're like, you know, some people with the Silicon Valley mentality, you know, God bless them, they want version 2.0. They want a new every, there's got to be a new version every year. And for them, there's Ethereum. Okay. So there you go. That's why Silicon Valley people seem to prefer Ethereum over Bitcoin. That's how they were raised. There's always got to be a new version, a better version uh, that's centrally, you know, that a central authority of wise people say, these are the new changes. This is new product. This is what you're getting. It's better. And most of them are going to say, yeah, most of the time, those people have been right. The, the old, the new Apple phone, iPhone is better than the old one. Okay, you have your Ethereum, you have your Vitalik, you have those committees, you do it your way, Bitcoin will do it their way. And, you know, pick it, that, that, and, and so for the Bitcoiners who are annoyed by that Ethereum, uh, Silicon Valley mentality, uh, you know, 2.0, 3.0, don't get Ethereum derangement syndromes, dude. 
there are a lot of Bitcoiners that waste their time with Ethereum derangement syndrome. Let them do what they do over there. If you have confidence in Bitcoin, you're perfectly cool with every little thing Vitalik does, with every little thing that he says. He can't change Bitcoin. He can change Ethereum. So what? What's that got to do with Bitcoin? Right. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned conviction. You know, I think you've been around a long time. You've seen a lot. You mentioned version 2.0. And, you know, I think about state attacks and, you know, you're kind of close to the earlier times. And I don't know if you're, uh, I just talked to Hasma Cook. I don't know if you're an apostle or a disciple. Um, you have some Forrest Gump-like uh, qualities where you've been in a lot of the places around the times that things have happened. So, you know, it, you know, I came in in 2017. It was very confusing with, with the block wars, the block size wars. And Roger Ver was the, the one of the most famous people in Bitcoin. And he was launching this attack. And, and prior to that, you had Mike Hearn and Gavin Anderson. And, <laughs> and how do you, you know, how did you, you know, deal with your conviction and kind of sorting through these issues from earlier times? Very, um, very good question there. Great you had Hasma Cook on. He is a great host in Sydney for when we're back. He took me around down there. I have never been in an SUV that has accelerated like he accelerated that SUV to skip three lanes at once. I, it was like I was on a roll. I have never felt that roller coaster feeling in my stomach on flat ground before. Just putting it out there. He's an awesome dude. How did I deal with Mike Hearn in 2016? Coincidentally, I was visiting Melbourne, Australia at the time. Um, and I see Bitcoin go down by a hundred freaking dollars because Mike Hearn rage quits. It went down from 400 to 300. And I was just like, dude, we just, we just recovered from 200 to 400. And now this is just one person. Now I hadn't seen anything like that before. So I, I just had to think about it. And I was familiar with other positive voices at the time that were calm, like Tone Vays, who said, you know, this Hearn guy's a joke and everything. And he what Hearn, all he was was, and one of the things with Hearn that I understood, he was jumping the ship to a centralized cryptocurrency related company called R3. So I was suspicious. I'm like, why, why is this guy joining some centralized company that has to deal? So I was, I'm not going to say I was totally cool with it. I hadn't seen anything like my, but I was, I wasn't going to sell because it made no sense. And there was just this suspicion, like he's just been bought out by some, okay, he, he can't deal with it anymore. Now with that in mind, you know, then we start, that was early 2016. That was January of 2016. Roger Ver at that time was such a big Bitcoin person the most respected person in all of Bitcoin. It was around that time, maybe toward the spring of that year, that he starts talking about, you know, we need to increase the block size. And so many people talk, took it, you know, as, as it was legitimate. And I wondered about it. It was not a pressing issue because we hadn't even gotten to the halving yet. I still wanted to see how this halving worked out. And it was just like, he was talking about block size but the price kept going up because we we're getting closer to the halving. We recovered from Mike Hearn. We went from 400 to 700 to 600. And then, you know, we, it was a great halving. And at the end of 2016, like we got back to the all-time high at the beginning of 2017. 
And we still, he's still talking about this block size thing, but he was like, still everyone would be like, Roger's so great. Roger's so awesome. We got to listen to what he has to say. And I was like, okay, he's got a point. But there came a point where it became like he was obsessed with where he was bigger than Bitcoin, where he knew better, because there were voices that were speaking up against him and saying, you know what, Roger, you're not right about this. And people were trying to be so polite. There was no Bitcoin Twitter, um, what, what do they call it now? Uh, what, what's the cyber word? Cyber hornets? Huh? Like well, cyber not cyber hornets, hornets but uh, you're, uh, you're raw, you're nasty. What's you're the toxic. word? You're toxic. Nothing close to toxicity then nothing even close. There is more so this fear of saying anything bad about Roger Bear. If someone said something even halfway bad about Roger Bear, they'd be like, but we love Roger, but we love Roger. And he was just on such a pedestal. But you know, he's bringing this Jihan Wu guy into it now. And that was a little different. And he seemed to be kind of like, it seemed like he had a, an interesting interest in it that went beyond just like, the good of Bitcoin, it was like the good of Bitmain. And people started speaking up against Roger. And it was, and then Roger started fighting back. And Roger is good at marketing. Roger is very persuasive. And he was gathering lots of people to his side. And we didn't even know what a fork truly was. We had been through the Ethereum Classic thing, which was good, but that led to this confusion of what was the true Ethereum. And so because of that, even though it was pretty obvious which the true one was, with Roger, this person who owned Bitcoin.com, who everybody mm -hmm. loved up until a moment ago, threatening to split Bitcoin, it was scary. It was something we had not reached in terms of FUD ever. It was a new test of strong hands. Now I was going down with the ship no matter what, okay? I, I, didn't, I didn't understand what a fork would mean at first. Eventually, I did know that forks are just whatever. They're crypto dividends. They're free. Uh, you know, and, and I encouraged forks after the Bcash mm -hmm. thing. I loved it. But going into it in March of that year of 2017, there were a lot of people that were scared. There were, there were a lot of people. And, and I had a show on March the 17th of 2017, perhaps my greatest show of all time. I recommend everyone to watch it. Uh, the, 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 the original guests were, I think, Ansel Lindner, me, Vortex, and BTC Benny. But as the night progressed, Vinny Lingham was in the chat. We got Vinny on the, sh the show. And then Tone Bays, Blake Anderson, and somebody else awesome freaking joined. I, I, I'm sad I forgot who the other sure. one was. All OGs. And Vinny Lingham mm. gets on, and he basically admits he's scared. <laughs> and, and it was... It was unbelievable. It was un it was unbelievable. Um, I mean, so I after the show, I was like, "Oh my God, we're gonna have to fight this! What the heck is going on here?" But I didn't I didn't give up, and um, Roger turned it up after that. I mean, from March until August, I think Bitcoin's price was held down because of the fear. It went from fifteen hundred to like. 2700 but it, it was stuck in the 2000s uh but there was fear and there was confusion because no one knew what this would bring and he was such a big person that everybody feared to criticize so to get 
to the point of, of August to just get there where Bcash would finally be born was a big momentous occasion and to see what happened afterwards that both Bcash and Bitcoin surged. At that point, who could fear anymore? Nothing, nothing could defeat Bitcoin at that point. If anyone had any doubts then, there were no, because the biggest name in all of Bitcoin had become anti-Bitcoin, created his own version of Bitcoin and Bitcoin was still the next Bitcoin. And, but yet there were still people during that time when Bitcoin and Bcash were doing well, still everything turned out all right. There were people that were like, I am selling all my Bitcoin for Bcash. There were people who did that. Oh man, that doesn't look very good now. But uh, that was a huge lesson to learn. So it's good you brought up from Mike Hearn to Roger Ver. That was an era of big name people leaving Bitcoin. And the clear lesson being learned is that they can't do a darn thing. And I have said for years now, since then, there will be someone else bigger than Roger Ver that will fork Bitcoin. It, I think it, it might mm. be Elon Musk. Who knows who it will be? And no one should worry at all. It might be the United States government mm -hmm. having a, you know, we, we need a Bitcoin that is, um, that complies with know your customer law, laws. So we're making our own Bitcoin. That won't be the real Bitcoin either. There's not, and that there's nothing that we, you mentioned state actors. That, that's a state attack right there. And you could, so yeah, you know, Joe Biden is, is definitely bigger than Roger Ver and Elon Musk in, in a certain way. You know, Joe Biden shouldn't be bigger than Elon Musk, but people worship the government so much more than real, real entrepreneurs that Joe Biden is bigger than Elon Musk amongst people. So if his government forked off Bitcoin, yeah, there'd be, there'd be a lot of people scared, but it would be nothing. It would be nothing to worry about. So I, I have definitely seen it all. And uh, yeah, and I fully expect there to be just some type of forks of Bitcoin that involve uh, like KYC or um, just 42 million Bitcoin, something that's more fair, something that's more for the people. Without energy, the energy Bitcoin, that's going to be a big one. That's going to, there might be a, a consortium of big names, Elon Musk, um, the Canadian guy, Mr. Wonderful, all getting together and saying, we're creating green Bitcoin. No more blood Bitcoin. They have blood Bitcoin. We have green Bitcoin. This is the real Bitcoin. Joe Biden approves this Bitcoin. This is it. We're forking it off. You're all getting free green Bitcoin. And I'll, I'll be like, great. That, but trust me, there'll be a lot of people scared. You know what? It, it's They'll dump in their pants because of it. But it, it's nothing. I've seen it happen before, and we will see it happen again. So have a strong hand through that. People. Agreed. I, I can't help but think that these are designed coordinated attacks that are not necessarily meant to succeed just to slow bitcoin down and if they do succeed even better um but you know you 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 I, i'm not as familiar with bitcoin youtube i did stick to uh podcasts more than youtube and i was going through um some of your older material just to kind of do the research and i i was connecting dots because before I even when I was consuming content, uh, even before podcasting, it was just for the sake of the ideas and regardless of where it was coming from. But there's a specific show of yours that really stuck out to me, especially in retrospect, which was the one that you did in Las Vegas. Uh, Tone Vase keeps coming up. But so I think you were at Unconfiscatable and uh, Trace Mayer and American Hoddle were on your show. I think it was the first time American Hoddle 
doxed himself voluntarily and, and let everyone know what he looks like and uh, put voice it was, it was to face. Sec second time. He'd done it on my This Week in Bitcoin show before that, right before that. But yes, continue. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, I want to know what you make of that experience, because in my mind, in my recollection, that was either the night before or right around the time that Trace kind of did some shit coining. And uh, I, I think it was the next day that he put the well, tweet yeah, up. It's, it's very, it was, what, what a story that was. Because going into the conference, there was, for a, over a month beforehand, there had been an airdrop of something called Mimble Wimble coin to Bitcoin holders. And I gladly it, it claimed it, of course. You all, if someone gives you something for free, you don't buy it. You never buy something you get for free. You turn it into freaking Bitcoin. So I, I knew a lot about this Mimble Wimble thing, whatever. I, I got it, I dumped it, I, I turned it into Bitcoin. It was great. I love crypto dividends. I love when these altcoiners create their own altcoin and give it to Bitcoiners for free. That's the way it should be done. We are the best holders in the world. We're the great, you know? So going into the conference, I, going into the conference, I had been questioned by people, about two, two people specifically. You know, what's, what's Trace got to do with this MWC? I'm like, he's got nothing to do with it. Why are people saying he's got something to do with it? I arrived in Las Vegas the day of the event and a Canadian, a guy from Toronto, who I knew from only, I never met the guy in person, but I, that, I met in person that day who watched my show for many years. He says, Adam, Trace has got something to do with this. He talked to me about it last night. And I was like, what are you talking about? Are you smoking? And this guy, this Toronto guy smokes some weed. He's a weed. So I was like, eh, maybe he's confused. Um, I, I just, Trace is, I've had Trace on my show quite a few times. He's the biggest Bitcoin holder in the freaking world. He, Trace is a man. Allegedly, who, allegedly. Well, he's a, uh -huh. he claimed, he took, the way he described how he holds Bitcoin, how he turned every fork that yep. he got into Bitcoin. I mean, when the China, back in 2018, at the beginning, all these insane forks came out that were like almost dangerous to claim. I mean, you, you had to be a master of your private key. He claimed them all. He, he's, so, he's so smart. He's got a lawyer's brain. He's got a technical guy's brain. He might, you know, when Bitcoin got up to $60,000, if he still had his Bitcoin, he might have been a billionaire. He was very smart in saying how many Bitcoin, he doesn't say how many Bitcoin he has. He's, he's very wealthy, very, very wealthy, you, very, very smart. How do you, but you're, there, there you're might be this, so this other, but the other aspect of it might've came out too, that he might, he might diversify. He might have other, other stuff in, in his uh, portfolio also. Um, because some OGs, you know, go back to Roger Baer, you know, everybody loved Roger Ver being a Bitcoin OG. There was a room. He, uh, Roger Ver also might own more Monero than anybody else. He owned quite a lot of, so if Roger Ver was one of the biggest holders of Monero, what's to say what Trace Mayer does on his uh, free time? It's none of my freaking business, but I would never think that he would, you know, encourage other people to buy something that, people could get, get for free that he would have, you know, I didn't even know he was that knowledgeable in, I knew he knew about the forks, but I didn't know he kept up with the, every single crypto dividend with every single airdrop. And so I give him credit that was many people, most people who found about Mimble Wimble coin only found out about it from three different sources. And there was someone that kept buying it. 
and kept pumping the price. And that's what the rumor was, that it was Trace. That was the dude who was buying all this Nimble Wimble coin for some reason. And I just couldn't grasp that concept. I could, until I got to Vegas and Canadian guy came up to me and then so, someone else mentioned it to me there. And then, you know, we had the event and I, I had them on my show and there were people asking me in the chat about it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think I could ask Trace about it. I was like, this is embarrassing to accuse Trace Mayer mm -hmm. of I buying saw, I this. I watched it today. This is an insult. And so I, would, I kind of alluded, like, someone's bringing something up here, and, you know, we're not going to talk about it. Well, then we, we, the show was a lot of fun, as you can tell. We go to this um, award ceremony, the Scammy Awards. Yeah. And it was, it was not at the hotel. It was at a bar. And it was so loud at the bar. And the microphone was horrible. And they're giving out all these awards. And at one point, Giacomo Zucco attacks Trace Mayer. And it's on tape. I, when it happened live, didn't hear a word of it. And I was right there. I was right. So there were many people that were in the room at the Scammies where Giacomo Zucco confronts Trace Mayer. Didn't even hear. A lot of people don't know this. But we were there. Didn't even hear it. And, and so I didn't even find out about that confrontation until days later. Well, when I got back to Los Angeles that night, I was only in uh, Las Vegas for 20, less than 24 hours. That's when I start finding out, like, American Hoddle is saying that Trace Mayer tried to sell him Mimble Wimble coin after, after he was on my show, like right after that happened. And um, Surfer Jim was there. No one knew who Surfer Jim was, by the way, at that point. I did. I, I, I thought he was awesome. Um, he popped on the show. Yeah, he was. Yeah, people didn't. Uh, um, Surfer Jim was a great guy then, he's a great guy now. But he's been people, on my show a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's just amazing how ignorant people are. Like, they need, they need some big name to tell them who some. I always say I had the best guest. I had Nick Carter on my show before anybody did, um, years before he was famous. I, all, I can identify smart people so easily. People, but people don't, you know, people don't watch my show. People don't watch the, 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 the District of Bitcoin show. They're shocked. They're like, oh, you had him on your, Richard Hart was on your show before that? Richard Hart was on my freaking show when he was a hardcore Bitcoiner in 2017. He was on my show with Nick Carter, actually. In, mm. you can, it was in September of 2017. Wow. I mean. Richard, Richard Hart was on my show twice before he had the... He was ripping on Ethereum. He was ripping on ICOs on my show. You know, your Bitcoin's the best. Whatever. But um, go, so it just shows you how big names can... Uh, they can change their... Uh, they can change their uh, way of speaking easily. But no. So then this... trip then. You know, when this comes out, when American Hoddle is saying this about Trace Nair and he shows the piece of paper that he was given, that, that I couldn't believe that Trace was given. Because I talked to Trace that day. I talked to Trace a few times that day. And there was, we, we, I mentioned the Mimble Wimble thing to him, like in, in a very polite manner. And he, he knew about it, but he would, he just, he was just like, the way he spoke about it is like, I am very knowledgeable in every single fork, in every single thing. It wasn't like him telling me to buy. He did not, Trace Mayer did not hand me any paraphernalia. Trace Mayer did not tell me to buy any Mimble Wimble during our conversation those days. Uh, you know, it's, but on the show, you know, revisiting it now in retrospect, especially going through kind of the breed love thing that we just kind of uh, all observed. You know, I was watching again and, you know, uh, Trace did a lot of deflecting. 
And he even kept like kind of like uh, someone brought up uh, airdrops. He's like, yeah, I got Stellar. And I, at 25X, after I sold it, I should have held longer and done better on Stellar. And you just, there were, there were more clues in retrospect, especially now watching it two years later. Um, and Trace was a really huge influence on my thinking, his ideas about um, just store of value and gold and, and sort of the Indian civilization and petting the gold rock. I mean, Trace was uh, the seven monetary, you know, the network effects of, of money. He was huge. And then it was so interesting to see it on that, on your show. And uh, in re seeing how it all played out, uh, you know, now I question everything. Like, did he ever have a private plane? Maybe he rented it. You know, uh, did he have all that Bitcoin? Because one of the other things I, I, when I revisited his work, is he speaks a lot about, uh, he was doing a lot of options trading and futures yes. trading. And I wondered, did he lose his shirt? You know, just fucking with his stack. He, but whatever he, it is, he's disappeared completely well, since that moment. So no, I no, don't think he's a billionaire. I there, don't think he's a billionaire. I predicted that he would be still involved with Caitlin Long's bank, uh, Avanti or whatever it's is called. Is he? And there was a press release that mentioned him a few months ago, yes. There was yeah, I still I don't think he's a billionaire. Um, I think a lot of it was an act in retrospect. That's well, I, I, I'll, I'll say this. His site, Bitcoin Knowledge, is still up there. Bitcoin.kn. Mm. And you can listen to his old shows from freaking like 2011. And they're phenomenal. And, but he was buying Bitcoin then, dude. He right. had Bitcoin. Well, he he's bought, saying he's buying he had, There's yeah, no you know, doubt I mean, he, he had a lot of Bitcoin really early on. You would really. expect. And we don't know if he held... I just think there's always more to meets the eye, and the fact that he hasn't resurfaced really well, makes me well, question the validity of what he said. Th that's the, the other thing is, if you're so why resurface if you're so darn rich? You know, he doesn't need. He doesn't I hear need you. The, he doesn't need the drama. He doesn't need. I the hear drama. you. Then why why ruin it all for seventy grand on Mimble Wimble? I I don't know what that that was weird. You know what I mean? Like that's just it. Just says so much that you would go dark over that which even at its greatest peak couldn't have offered the riches that we're talking about. So I just, I don't get it. And we, we, we see that with breed love too. And I, well, I don't really, and, yeah. But the thing to take away is you can't put anybody on a pedestal. I, yep. But you can still learn a lot from Trace Mann. I, I, I still love I everything I heard from him. And I, I don't think I'll revisit that material with the same zest ever again. But yeah, I really credit him with a lot of great ideas. Uh, I, I agree with you. You know, it, it's more about the ideas than, than the person, especially when we don't know these people. You know, we're just hearing a slice of their opinion at a particular time in, in, you know, in space. Uh, but I do want to contrast that with, so, you know, you, you've been doing these conferences for a long time. You, you've been doing shows from conferences. You've been in, you know, and then Bitcoin 2021 just happened, right? And I'd love to know what your experience was like there. I'm sure uh, lots of people came up to you recognized you but then you i'm sure you also got uh, sure i shouldn't say that um, i don't want to assume but I'm, I'm assuming that you also got to run into a lot of of your old friends um, dude it was so flattering you know to have people that i never met in person come up to me that happens at other conferences but not like this this was just it was constant i could just stand in the hallway and wait around a little bit someone would come up to me and say hi um to, to finally meet some of my best guests in the space was awesome to see some guys that I've met before, like Tone Vase, like BTC Benny, uh, like a bunch of other guys, you know, 
to physically, you know, hug them again because we're dudes that are in the hug hugging uh, because we're not scared of that. Uh, it, it was funny afterwards. Somebody tried to say it was a super spreader event, and and the mainstream media picked up on it, and now they've completely forgotten about it because it was a lie. And it just shows you what liars in mainstream media are. But I'd like to contrast that event, which was just what a vibe. And by the way, there were um, altcoiners there too. There were people promoting their altcoin there. They they weren't in beat up or anything. Floyd so Mayweather. Be, yeah, it, it was. But to, to have those many bitcoiners, and there was, it was interesting to see the disagreement between people who want to be toxic and people who think that toxicity is horrifying. There was there was a split there. That was you know the Eric Voorhees uh, of the world uh, to some of the younger guys in the world. Um, that that was interesting to see, and we're and that that debate is we have open debate here, and I'm glad think? I, I'm glad that not all Bitcoiners are the same. So I I don't like being toxic. I'm just like a positive person. You can see I tell sad story, scary stories sometimes, but I always try to say the you know the silver lining of this is that you know of these evil Fed coins is that more people are going to get into Bitcoin. Okay, so I I am of a per, I'm a person who I don't, I don't like to scapegoat. I don't like to say this is the cause of all our problems. And if there's a problem and someone's causing it, I just try to ignore them and get around it and create something. I'm not into destruction, I'm into creation. So sometimes the toxicity can lead to like, we have to destroy this. We have to destroy this altcoin. Ethereum is horrible. We must rip on it at every point and destroy it. I am not into that level of toxicity. Now. Let those guys do what they want to do, but I think sometimes they get into a derangement syndrome. There's definitely Ethereum derangement syndrome out there. So I'm not down with that, but I'm, I'm also not down with, you know, totally being wishy-washy. You got to stand for something. And Voorhees over time, mm. I mean, he, he admitted he was wrong on the, the, the Bitcoin, uh, it was uh, Segwit2x. He believed in, uh, on, a, on a fork that never happened. There was Bcash, and then there was going to be another one that we were going to get, like, it was going to be worth 5% of a Bitcoin, the futures market. I was like, Bring, but they couldn't pull it off. Something broke, whatever. It never happened. It was going to be a corporate Bitcoin, the New York agreement, all that stuff. Yeah, I, I, I wish it would have happened because we would have gotten more free, uh, their free crap coin, and we would have turned into that. But he thought that was the real Bitcoin. Now, he apologized on that. So, I mean... He's all, he's, a, I mean, he's been in it a long time. Uh, and you know what, when you, when you have a company, when you have a company that isn't Bitcoin, that's a company, mm -hmm. that's a target mm -hmm. right there. Mm -hmm. So he had to change his ways. He used mm -hmm. to be on all those anarchist shows. Okay. He yep. started shapeshift. There was no KYC. There was none of that, but I learned he, libertarianism from him, from his so he, appearance he, on McCormack and his, his speech at the 2013 Bitcoin conference uh, that I saw in video many years later just really fucking blew my mind. And he was a different person. He was different then. Yeah, I agree. And I, I put him in that, to be honest, that Trace Mayer, Breedlove bucket, uh, Gavin Anderson bucket. They, they're, they're off in, in, in the galaxy. He made a choice. He made a choice. Do I want to be a Bitcoiner or do I want to be an owner of a company in the cryptocurrency space that is an attack vector? And he chose to go the attack vector route where he was a big sore thumb of attack. And so he was going to have regulation come after him. So either he could give up his crypto company or 
and own Bitcoin or so he chose, he's a crypto company guy. That is what he is first. That, and so at one time he definitely was pure Bitcoiner. He made the choice and that, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, but he is someone that preaches against toxicity, but he's got underlying. Interest. I think that, yeah, I think that's a conflict of interest. I don't think he's preaching against toxicity. I think if he agreed, you know, or didn't have a conflict with the viewpoint, I think he'd be not necessarily pro-toxicity. I just don't think he'd have an issue with no, it. I, I, don't, I don't think he's, again, he's, him being around the space still, it's fine. It's fine. He's not, he's not hurting Bitcoin or anything. He's well, I, I, I have no problem. Has this him. ever uh, affected you personally where one of your friends from Bitcoin Twitter, uh, not Bitcoin, just from Bitcoin, um, have changed over the years and, and they're not what you thought they were or not what they presented themselves as, or they changed in a way that, you know, was disappointing to you? No, I, I've had guys change, do little, you know, the big, it, it's bigger than Bitcoin actually, dude. I've had people that, you know, start talking about other cryptocurrencies. I'm like, fine, whatever. They'd like another cryptocurrency. But when the, when the lockdown started, and I started seeing some of my This Week in Bitcoin guests promote the lockdown. I never invited those ones back on again. Never. I couldn't take That was a step too far. That was, that was a line for me. That I thought they didn't believe in state regulation. That that's why they were in the Bitcoin. I couldn't see how a Bitcoiner would, just like that, jump on this bandwagon of shutting the economy. It, it gave in that easily to fear. And it wasn't just one or two guys either. Quite a few, quite quite a few. Not the majority of people, but a substantial. And some of the people I think jumped on it because um, because they knew about the virus before anyone else did. So they were so proud that they were so smart that they knew about this thing in January that they just kept on the train and didn't even realize what the heck they were promoting after a while. And they weren't willing to give in to say, you know what, this isn't the Black Plague. This is affecting old people. And we shouldn't be locking down the whole world for a bunch of old people or fat people and unhealthy people. And so, yeah, I've been disappointed on that with that, with, with Bitcoiners. These were true Bitcoiners and they still say they are true Bitcoiners. And um, I, I, I don't name names ever, but if people sure. watch all of my This Week in Bitcoin shows, you can see who never came back on. And it's pretty obvious. I mean, it's, it's pretty, if you actually pay attention to it, you see some of these people, they complexity worship so much. They don't understand what these guys are saying at all. And they just, oh, they're so smart on the lightning network. They're so smart on this. And they're following them on Twitter and they just ignore all the stuff that they say about the, they're like, they don't, they don't realize that, wait a second, what, who am I worshiping here? Just because this guy is smart doesn't mean they're right on, I, I mean, you've got to really reevaluate a genius when they start becoming fascists like that, you really, and, and most people don't, most people don't, most people, you know, you, you're talking about that you mostly listen to podcasts. In 2016, there were no podcasts. It was just YouTube, okay? And what you, YouTube degenerated into the worst of the worst. There was no altcoiner YouTube in 2016, maybe a few, but by 2017, it was by, the height, by the height of the market, when, when, when we reached our peak, it was degeneracy beyond belief. People just wanted to see pretty faces, pretty girls, uh, whatever's going to pump next, the most short-term, impulsive nonsense you can believe, and it never went away. It never left their space, and there are just some people 
that do not, I have yelled about it on my show before. Most people that watch shows have no listening comprehension. They cannot tell you what they just learned, but they learn nothing. The people who listen to the podcast, they're a little bit better because they're not being distracted by faces, okay? They're actually listening and, and the content is better. Uh, because they, they don't have, you know, no one's showing their Maserati or their whatever, their pretty face. Or, I mean, I get more comments about my hair than I do about how beautiful I freaking am. And I am beautiful. And I have beautiful hair. There's no doubt about that, okay? But, dude, you should be, you should be, you should, they're the same ones that are like, should I buy Litecoin? I'm like, you haven't understood the simple thing I've repeated two million times? Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin? Should I buy Litecoin? What do you think of, uh, what do you think of uh, IOTA? I, these are still questions I get, but they sure can tell you that I got a nice head of freaking hair. They can tell you that. I mean, it's ridiculous. So I'm very willing to insult many of my, the people who watch my YouTube channel. It's terrible. And that's another reason I don't do it anymore. And they deserve to be insulted if they're talking about my hair and asking me about IOTA. It's ridiculous, but it's much worse than that. Most of the people out there they, they don't even want to deal with a Bitcoin show. It's too boring for them. A Bitcoin show is way too boring. So unfortunately, some of these creators, they got to get into other stuff and then get, you know, they, I don't believe in people giving their Bitcoin to third parties that are going to give them interest. I think it's very risky. I say it all the time. But for some people, that's their whole shtick. For me, I'm like, you just get the free crypto dividend the free fork, the free airdrop, you turn that into Bitcoin. You control your private key the entire time. There's no risk, there's no third party. Bitcoin is not about third parties. I do wanna contrast one thing. You asked me about the 2021 conference. I said beforehand it was gonna be the best one of all time. It was the best one of all time. But I wanna uh, go back in time to, uh, it's probably this day, in, I think it was July 17th of 2015. I was in Chicago for a Bitcoin conference. Chicago is the set third biggest city in the United States of America, but it was 2015. It was, Bitcoin was like $200, $220, dollars I don't know what it was. It was the, like the dredges of the, of the down market, okay? I mean, we couldn't even fill like a minor room. We, I mean, there was like 50 people there in Chicago, third biggest city in the United States, beautiful summer day, or, and... Tone Bay, that's when I met Tone Bay the first time. And I got to tell you then, there was a scammer there. There was some guy, you know, pumping some, it was a complete scam. Tone Bay called the guy freaking scammer. And that was 2015. And so that, Tone Bay never changed his freaking ways. And I give credit to everybody that was there that day. Um, and that never gave up. It was, and I saw Tone Bay at the 2021 conference too. So, uh, it just, it just puts it in perspective. Nobody wanted to come to that freaking thing, okay? They, it was a company that had put on conferences in other cities before that. I think that was the last one they tried. They had one, I think maybe in San Diego uh, at the end of 24. They couldn't even do it anymore. That's how, that's how many people jumped the Bitcoin ship. And I am so proud to say, I have pictures of me there, that I was at that Chicago July of 2015 conference. And that tone was there too. He should be very proud of it too. And that we never freaking left and we did not sell our freaking Bitcoin, baby. It is, and wow, has it paid off? Because again, big, big, I bought a lot more Bitcoin since then too. That was in my early buy-in days. I mean, it, and it was in the 200s that day. We couldn't get 50 people in Chicago. 
of all conferences. Anyway, mm -hmm. just just one of you asked me about old conferences too yeah. compared to the new ones. That, that that no one could imagine that now, but I lived it. Yeah, what a wild ride to see you know from fifty people showing up to twelve thousand people overhauling a city. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Bitcoin as savings and, yeah. you know, and, uh, kind of like walking through a little bit of like what it's meant to you or just what it means to use Bitcoin as a savings plan or a savings vehicle. It, it is a savings account. It is the savings account of this golden age, baby, because let's compare just to the, the bank of America savings account. From what I hear, right. you know, there's certain, you know, there's like the, the IRA. I've got this old IRA with them, actually. I mean, it's like they give me 0.08% like every quarter. I mean, it's like an insult. It's like a, it's a slap to the face. There's a demand for, you know, to get something for your savings. But then the, the, I think some of their savings accounts, they charge you a fee. So that's a negative interest rate right there. They're not even, you're not even making any money off of it. So you try to say, you know, your, your grandma told you about a savings account and savings bonds and all this, and you get interest, nothing beats inflation anymore. So you need something where you're not going to get fees, where you're going to be able to get it. And by the way, that, that thing that I got with that IRA or whatever it is, that I get 0.08% or 0.1, I don't even know what it is. I can't get that until like I'm 65 years old or 55. I don't even know what it is. These right. restrictions. Bitcoin, you control it, all right? You, you put away a little, you turn your fiat into this other, <laughs> this other money. You can think of it just like I'm putting it, I have to do this thing on Coinbase, just say Coinbase, for example. Uh, mm -hmm. I got to turn my, it connects to my, uh, my Wells Fargo account. I turn, it, it turns my fiat into something else. Then I move it to my personal savings account, which is just the Bitcoin you control. And then I forget about it. And sure, the interest in terms of dollars isn't regular, but over time, this thing is worth a lot more than it was before. And I can buy a lot more with it than I could before. Now my Bank of America savings account, it might be worth a little bit more than before, but I can't buy as much with it as I could have before. I could have bought a new car with it before. Now I can't buy a, a new, uh, a, a, a new sled with it or something, <laughs> a new pair of skis. So for me, that's the most simplest financial mechanism that Bitcoin provides. It's just a newfangled savings account that doesn't give you regular interest payments or anything like that. But if you take it up a level and you see the forks and the, uh, the crypto dividends that you get, then yes, that is the interest that you get. These free altcoins that you get by holding the Bitcoin, there's your interest right there. There you go right there. If Bitcoin stayed the same dollar value over time, you would get these crypto dividends and you would you would have more Bitcoin at the end of the day because you would turn them into Bitcoin. So it is a futuristic, unconfiscatable savings account. And in other countries, they don't have the world reserve currency. They don't have the US dollar. They have bank balance. I mean, we could have bank balance, but with Bitcoin, you don't have to worry about that. Your savings account, if, if you're, you know, the Elizabeth Warren of uh, some European country can say, oh, look at those fat, wealthy uh, cats out there 
with their uh, savings account in euros, we're taking 10% off the top. They already made 20%, let's take 10% off. They don't need it. That, that can't happen with your Bitcoin. That's true savings. When you're at a threat of a bank bail-in at any moment, that's not savings. That's not savings. Even if you've got a good interest rate, even if your bank is nice to you, if, you, if that threat is over your head, you don't control your private key, and that's the end. But I got, I got to say this. If you treat Coinbase as your Bitcoin bank, that's not a true savings account. That's not a true savings account because the government can go to publicly owned Coinbase, which has to follow every government restriction there is, and they can go to Coinbase and say, hey, that guy's a terrorist. Give us all their uh, Bitcoin. And they will do it in one second if they've got a court order. And uh, people better... People better remember that uh, about you know third parties and, and, and being you know labeled a certain. You could be you control your own private key. They can label you anything. If you don't control your pri private key, you're just as vulnerable as uh, someone with a Bank of America account. So yeah, yeah, true savings and but it's scary for people to be. People love safety so much. What they think is safety. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citibank. That's safety. They, I'm, if my Bitcoin gets stolen, they will reimburse me. Not if the United States government steals it from you. Yeah. They're, not, they're not reimbursing you. You, again, it's, it's a big, you have to have faith in your freaking self, personal responsibility, that you can be your own savings account. And so many people are not ready for that. So many people will never be ready for that. Yeah. So Coinbase, uh, another company I think that, you know, should have more Bitcoin than they do in terms of their own balance sheet. And I think they missed the ball a little bit and had such an opportunity. And for people like you and me, it was where we went to buy our first Bitcoin. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, it's a shame to see them throw it away. Are you going to disappear on us? It seems like you're slowing down on the show. Um, not doing the show as much. Do you think one day you're going to walk off into the Bitcoin sunset and uh, not be as public a figure one day? Well, I'm, I'm already going in that direction because it's such a pain in the toothless. YouTube does not make it easy to do the shows. You, Google is the most technologically advanced company on earth. Everything should become easier with them. Yet it's harder to do a show now in uh, 2021 than it was in 2016. Uh, it, it's just, it's a joke. And it's, they do it on a little bit on purpose. They they want professional out. They want YouTube to be like uh, mainstream TV. They want it very professionally done. They give you customer service if you're a like a million subscriber channel. Okay, you get. But otherwise, I've been taken down by them randomly a few times. No, no real reason. It, it's an algorithm that you can't talk to a real human. And you know what? If that's the way things are going to be, fair. They're a, a private. A, they're their own company. It's their they, they've let me be on their platform. That's cool. I don't have to be on their platform anymore. If it's become too annoying for me, I'm not going to do it. If I'm too annoyed by the people who watch it, I'm not going to do it. I'm very annoyed by the people who watch it. I'm very annoyed by the way it's set up. I don't like to be annoyed. I'm quite wealthy now. And I don't need this. I don't need it at all. And But I have encouraged people. And at first, I didn't want people to think I quit, just like you said. But there's quitting and there's moving on. And you you can't live secondhandly and care what other people think. For me, I, I'm moving on. I can't, I can't do it every single day. Um, I got to take care of some business. And, but I have said, and this is open to anyone, I will appear on anyone's show. 
it is so easy for me to appear on. It's much easier for me to appear on your show. I don't have to prepare. I don't have to record. I just push one little button. I don't have to write up a whole spiel about it. I don't have to put it on Twitter until I, everything's at my convenience when I'm on someone else's show. So I gladly, as long as they let me have a copy of the show, which you have let me done graciously, I will be on any one show and then I will put it on my channel and other people will find it. I love that. Also, I will say this. Um, if I would do shows, if um, I can, I, I get a hundred dollars a show in super chats. I'll do that. That's worth, I'll do it for that. But anything less than that, I'm not doing it. I, I'm just like, I, I need some type of financial encouragement. Like, I love getting, it's fun to get the super chats, but I, because I seen, I'm not going to name names, but there's a, there's someone out there that, that does a financial show, let's say. It's a philosophy show, financial show. And for years, he keeps saying, I don't know what Bitcoin is. I don't care about Bitcoin. I'm not buying Bitcoin. His super chatters give him about $400 a show. So he's been telling people all these years, you know, basically don't buy Bitcoin. I'm a no, he's a no coiner. He gets $400 a show. You know what? So th these are your options. You watch my, and I give you all the credit in the world, dude. You watch my old shows. It's a reservoir of knowledge out there. In my old 2000 old shows, I don't need to make any new shows for people to really learn what a strong hand is, okay? Uh, to get some really interesting ideas that not many people talk about. I come up with my own subject matters. I just don't read Coindesk and Cointelegraph and regurgitate it. That's what most people do. You know? I don't do that at all. I came up with the crypto dividend concept. I mean, I've, I've come up with all these sayings you know, Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. One Bitcoin goes to one Bitcoin. Personal responsibility is a new counterculture. That it, it, it's it's beyond the beyond Bitcoin shows where I tie in, you know, to what truly is democracy and what, you know, the, the way uh, one state is free and what's uh, one country isn't free and what that might mean for Bitcoin. And that the whole world isn't going to become Bitcoin centric one day. That Bitcoin can be successful with only 10% of the world using it. I mean, these are things that most people don't say. I've got all sorts of talking points out there that are so original. I don't need to make new stuff. But most people, they don't want to see old videos. I, I personally love watching old videos uh, of all sorts of people out there. So again, this is, this. I haven't made it, I haven't like tweeted out saying like, hey, give me $100 and I'll do a show. I haven't said that, but that's me just saying it right now. If you guys want a new show that isn't me on another person's show, because I will come on anybody's other show for free. But if you want me to take time out of my day, plan a whole new show out, and, and you know, do, you know, do it forty minutes or whatever. If I gather up a hundred dollars, send it to me beforehand or during the show, I'll do it. Okay. So if, if that's disappearance, then that's disappearance. But uh, otherwise, I'm on Twitter every single freaking day. I am, uh, and I'm tweeting stuff out, and so I'm not like disappearing like Trace Man or like you know, just going going dark. I will have a social media presence. Uh, even if I'm not doing a YouTube show every week or whatever, uh, I'll be out there. And there's there's nothing saying I won't do a YouTube show. Okay, so I'm not disappearing. But if you want a taste of Adam Meister, I'm tweeting every day. Dude. I'm tweeting every. And who knows? You might see me on, uh, hear me on Clubhouse or Twitter. You know, people are always asking me to do odd little things, and uh, I'm always, you know, I, I've got other interests where I might want to do a a, a page that has a bunch of uh, big, just current event and Bitcoin information on it. There's stuff I've been dreaming of, thinking of. I want more time to go beyond. I want to, and I advise this for everyone, to go on a sabbatical. If you can afford it, go on a sabbatical where you just think 
and you come up with new ideas and you don't do your daily routine that you get addicted to. So I've done that um, when I've been here in San Diego uh, and I'm taking care of some health things too because I went to this health clinic, uh, health nucleus, and I paid a lot of money for this, uh, you know, I'm into health and everything and this whole body scan and everything. And thank God I don't have cancer or brain issues or whatever. But there were some things that I actually I was surprised about that I got to address. And I just want to say right now, um, you know, I, again, it, it costs a lot of money because they do all these tests that you don't usually get. Um, I have a high cadmium level. And for most people, like, well, what the heck's cadmium? If I said I had a high mercury level, you'd be like, whoa, it's similar. It's similar. I have, um, I got to cut down on some of these animals that I'm eating. Um, and so I'm doing some experimentation, you know, organic really might be more important than I thought it was. So mm. I have a little bit above average cadmium level. And that's, uh, that's something that has to be taken care of. I just want to put it out there that even Adam Meister, who tries to be perfect with his health, um, and I do the running and, and maybe I've overdone the running too. A lot of things you have to rethink and go on a sabbatical and, and, you know, re recalibrate, <clears throat> recalibrate sometimes in, in different aspects of your life. Um, definitely health is the most important thing. You only get one life. So one, one to re, re, re point that out too. I, as I said, at the beginning of the show, you only get one life. So take care of yourself and no one is invincible. No one is. Invincible. And so, yeah, they got these, they got these things on me, these uh, blood glucose monitors. Now, I don't need this, um, but they just, part of the program is they give you what uh, diabetics get. And my blood glucose is act awesome. But it's so awesome to be able to check it any freaking time, you know, to see what something does to your glucose level. And I, I feel horrible for diabetics where this is, you know, don't become a diabetic. Uh, but this is, this, this is really just the technology that we're living in now. It's so awesome. But I do want to say the only way you can get this you have to have a prescription, which is so, it just shows you how ridiculous this world is. That to get this, a blood glucose monitor, that an, a regular man needs to go to a doctor, beg him for a prescription to get this thing. You should be, and thus it's a lot of money. It's over $100 apparently. I didn't have to pay for it because it was part of the whole program. But um, anyone should be able to go into a pharmacy and buy this thing for 50 bucks or whatever, okay? Anyone who's curious about their own health. There's not, this is nothing wrong to know about your blood sugar. Apparently, it's, it's so highly regulated by our wise, why, look, look at the FDA. I mean, if, if anything, the, one, the last one and a half years have taught us is like, it's a freaking joke. Um, so yeah, I, I'm very uh, libertarian when it comes to medicine. And you know, if people want to experiment with themselves, anyone should be able to buy anything. They shouldn't need a prescription, whatever, you know, personal responsibility. You know, you take it, you take the chance, you take the chance, whatever, man. But this just shows you how ridiculous it is that you, you need a prescription for this, uh, this Libra, the Libra 14 days. You guys can look it up online. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, uh, interesting stuff. I'm kind of curious as we wind down, what would be a perfect day for you right now? Oh my God, a perfect day for me. Well, there's, there's two different perfect days. There's a perfect days when I'm on the road, which is most of the time. Um, and that would be just enjoy, just running in a new city, in a part of the city I've never seen before, that's got a lot of greenery and unique uh, architecture and doing that early on in the morning before the sun really comes out and is burning you, but it's still a good temperature. You know, getting in a good jog, then working out really nice, feeling good, 
eating a big one meal a day, that's just beautiful, all healthy food, and then getting online, seeing, seeing Bitcoin's gone up in price, and uh, just learning some more about Bitcoin, watching something that really triggers my mind about economics or just about philosophy, maybe learning some new technological thing that I didn't know beforehand, finding out that the United States or that a private entity is about to send someone to Mars, or maybe that a private entity has proof of alien life in a nearby galaxy, just something something completely new and just great for mankind that I that happens. That would be a great freaking day. Then go to sleep relatively early. And maybe you know interact with some friends online a little bit too. Uh, and read read a book, read part of I don't get enough time to read books and just be relaxed and, and do a show. Do a fun show. Be a, be a guest in someone's show. That would that would be fun. But not but the whole day to be totally relaxing. Not, no pressure, not being on a tight schedule, just having an open schedule. Now, when I'm back in Baltimore, um, that's where most of my family is. The perfect day there would involve certain aspects of that, but just spending some time with my nieces and nephews. I haven't gotten enough time during this pandemic or whatever they want to call it. It's not, I don't know what it is. Unfortunately, my family members have uh, been scared and I just wish they all could be relaxed. I wish I could go to Disney World with all of them and none of them would be wearing masks. I used to, one thing my parents would do with us, they would take us to Disney World and people thought that was so corny. And you know, I look back on that now and my father is gone and I just think about it and it was so much fun. It was that innocence and just being with my siblings and my parents it was so good and it scares me a little bit. I, I want to be able to do that with these kids and I don't want them to have those masks on. And I just want my mom to see her grandkids and for all of us to be together again. And it, that, would be, that would be the best day. That, that would be the best day. That could, I wouldn't be in Baltimore, it would be in, in Disney World, I guess. Yeah. That, that for me, because I, I do care a lot about my family obvious and it just it does it, it to see what's happened that people you love can be so scared it's and it might really affect the rest of these little people's lives and they maybe you won't get a regular maybe what i had with my family back then i can't exactly be replicated because of this nonsense it, it really it, it gets me you can see it really gets me but I, I know I'm, I'm confident we're going to have that day. But I just, the other thing is that I just want to remind everyone of that the cadmium reminded me of is that you don't know what is next in your life. You can be so healthy. You can be so young right. and it can all end. So you've got to take it seriously. You've got to take your life seriously. And I think I take my life more seriously than I did a month ago now because I did have this health scan. I really do. I thank I thank God that I paid that I was wealthy enough to have this expensive thing done to me and everything like that to learn that I am not perfect, that I am not Mister Invincible. It, it it puts a whole new perspective on it, and it puts 
you know, you want to do some things before you can't do them anymore. You know, maybe someone's going to disappear that you didn't think was going to disappear. Do it before mm -hmm. it's too late. Do definitely do it before it's too late. Yeah. On that note, where, where do you want to be in the future? Dude, you know, in about 10 or 20 years, I want to be on the freaking cutting edge of life, baby. I want to be in, involved in the most, you know, earth shattering stuff you can imagine. And I know that's going to be in the Bitcoin space, but it might be like Bitcoiners coming up with a project to fund a mission to the clouds of Venus or something like that. Okay. I'm very, there's going to be a point. Yeah. I'll be very willing to spend some of my Bitcoin and give it to causes that I think are just totally awesome. That, that just totally uh, just increase, uh, you know, longevity and just progress. I love progress. And I want to be involved with projects that increase human longevity. I want to experiment on my freaking self. I want to be able to afford life-altering uh, uh, drugs. But, you know, the, there's the whole point of, you know, you got to get there first. And that's why I love capitalism so much. And I hate these people that want to slow down the economy and want to slow down progress. And eh, we shouldn't have as much oil anymore. We, you know, we don't need these, this, these businesses. No, let there be every business possible that could be experimenting and creating drugs that say, yes, we've come up with something that might expand your life to be 150 years old, but we need human, human guinea pigs. That's freaking awesome. I have no problems with that. None, none at all. But most people who are like, we must, we must restrict in order to protect, in order to protect the environment, in order to protect the, the goats. And the, 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 humanity is number one, dudes. We are, in, look at the innovation we've come up with in these last 200 years compared to the rest of time. It's because of capitalism, it's because of freedom. What, what can we do if there are less restrictions? It's, the sky is the freaking limit. That's what I want to live in, and that's what I want to encourage. So in 10 years, I think I'll be preaching that stuff. Maybe I'll be invested in that type of thing. Who knows? But I want to be in the tip of the spear of innovation, the tip of the spear of Bitcoin, and I just want to just keep on being a freaking unique beast, and I would love to still be traveling around. Maybe I will finally buy one or two or three places. You know. But again, owning real estate is an attack vector. Going from one Airbnb to another, no attack vector at all. Does they can't get you? They can't. They can't stop you. They can't tax you on it or anything like that. They can't. They can't confiscate your Airbnb because it's not your Airbnb. You're just there yeah. temporarily. They can always temporary. They can always confiscate my uh, condo in freaking uh, Beverly Hills or something like that. If I, if I had, not that I want one, but <laughs> it's so interesting. I think that <clears throat> uh, I, I know that. Um, I love the energy, that sort of East Coast uh, Jewish vibe in a lot of ways that I'm familiar <laughs> with. Uh, I'm kind of curious one day if you'll ever settle down. Uh, I do think that there's this dichotomy, this push and pull of this, all this energy and, and, and gripping the world by its horns. And, and, and also the, the other side of the coin of like being able to build in one place and kind of get back to your roots of not necessarily Baltimore as a city, but of 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 living in one place for a long time and seeing it progress uh you know and i love this progressive vibe you know and it, it's something that we don't hear about a lot in bitcoin i feel like because there's this progressive is almost like a taboo word in, in bitcoin you know and we want to see progress uh so but 
My final question for you is what is going on over at Coinbeast? They seem to be killing it. You're doing the TikTok thing over there and the advisory. So if you could tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing over there. Well, that's interesting. I, I couldn't do I, the, the TikTok thing was fun at times. But man, was that the most mindless play? That was worse than YouTube. And John over at Coinbase, Beast, I give him all the credit in the world. He wanted to, re first of all, he's in motion. He met, well, he contacted me before 2018. In 2018 in Calgary, there was a Bitcoin conference. He's a Canadian. He met me. He, he introduced himself. He talked to me. He stayed in touch with me. And eventually he reached out to me and said, we want you to be the TikTok guy. So that's what you do. There's so much opportunity in this space. All these guys like me, we're willing to do things where, you know, you, you reach out to us. We're also willing to talk. There's so many opportunities for more. I'm not a technical guy. I'm a marketing guy. So that's just, Coinbase is willing to hire anyone, it seems like sometimes. Or, and that's, that's, that's not attacking them. That's great. That's what I'm just saying. There's so many open positions out there. And so John, he thought it was a great idea to, to get them when they're young. Because some of the people are real young on Coinbase, on, uh, on TikTok. And there's something to be said with that. I don't know how many people I was converting, um, if any, but he's in motion. He's trying new things. He's trying on, um, uh, on Clubhouse too. I was on a Clubhouse. So what am I going to do with them in the future? Probably Clubhouse and um, Twitter Spaces stuff. But what they're doing is definitely pure Bitcoin education. And he's like, he's uncompromising. It's not about Dogecoin. It's not about... He just wants people to get into Bitcoin and he wants to build a, a brand, you know, and, and, and have legitimate spokespeople get people on the Bitcoin bandwagon. And he's very sincere about it. He wants to make money off of it. He wants to, you know, do a lot, you know, have cons consultants. And I, I appreciate it because I do, I've always done consulting and people, and I've always had clients, but it's a pain in the butt to promote it. And so they're, they're my guys. I, if people, you do it through them. You want Adam Meister, a meeting with Adam Meister, they set the whole thing up. I think it's good to have an agent like that. And other, uh, other guys who are, you know, do special things in Bitcoin uh, should sign up with them too. And they'll, uh, they'll, uh, they'll get you uh, clients and, and stuff. So I think what they're doing is good. It's, they're going to have new, they have news articles too. And it's not, it's not going to be just mindless coin desk and coin telegraph all repeating the same stuff, you know, they got original, original content over there. So he's trying to build an empire and that's awesome. And he's in motion and people watching this, listening to this right now, reach out to the Coinbeast people, tell them what you can deliver for them, but not just the Coinbeast people. If you see someone out there with a company, okay, that's in the Bitcoin space or even in the cryptocurrency space, you think you have a talent, send the guy a DM, send the CEO a DM, they will love it. They will love the proactiveness. It's not, this isn't like 2010 anymore where you got to send out your resume and go to the website and see if there's a job. Make up your own job. Tell them why they should hire you. And maybe they will. They re really will. It's, it's a unique opportunity right now. All these companies are growing. They, I am so impressed by the people who reach out to me. There have been people who reach out to me and I've helped get, 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 get them jobs. And they're very appreciative of it. Okay. That is the way this should be working. On the other hand, I've had geniuses that are supposed to um, end up on my show and they flake out. And that's a disgrace. 
that's a, and I don't have respect for, for stuff like that. But because in this day, most people are flakes. Most people are lazy bums. They want a job to come to them. They want all the jobs to stay in their town. You gotta go out there and be in motion. If you're in motion, oh man, you can get anything in this freaking space. You really can. But if you're gonna be a flake, you're gonna get nothing, okay? And it is, it's, it's frustrating. Um, you can be the biggest genius in the world, but you can still be a flake and you can end up a freaking failure because of that. So you dudes that got the 160 IQs and you think the world is uh, your oyster and you think it's all gonna come to you, you still gotta go out there, dudes. And if you're a flake and you smoke weed, no guarantee, dude. No guarantee. Yeah, man. What are you optimistic about these days? Uh, besides, you know, in terms of Bitcoin, but like, uh, are we going to steer the ship the right way? Are we going to get to see our nieces and nephews and go to Disney World? I, I am optimistic about certain states not, and their governors not being shamed into believing into this variant stuff. They're just putting their feet down and saying, no. We're not going to go back till 2020. We're, so I, and I do see protests in Europe. In France, they tried to do the ID, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the vaccine passport. And I, I saw people in the streets of Paris. So I, I'm very happy when I see people in these foreign countries having protests. I'm very happy that in the United States, we still have 50 states and it hasn't become a, fe a federal, everything's the freaking same which certain people would love to happen, that ain't happening. So I, I love that more and more people are speaking up against cancel culture. I am annoyed that private companies are now, it appears that private companies are taking marching orders from the government to censor. That is true censorship. When the government says, hey, private company, we don't want you letting people express this opinion. That is censorship. Now, if a company just on their own said, no, nah, we don't want to have these opinions, they're a private company. But what we just saw last week with the, with, with the press secretary basically saying, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't think this should be said. I mean, hint, hint, private company, we don't want you say. And, so, and they have the power to attack the, that censorship. And so I don't like seeing that, but I do like that many people are getting invigorated because of that and are ready to fight that stuff and that is the line in the sand now that they've taken it a step too far when it is true but some people have abused the word censorship it, it really isn't true censorship when a company says no we're not going to let uh, this person be on because we don't like it. that's that's private property but it, when it's a government saying private company you shouldn't let this person on and we're making sure all the other private companies do the same thing. That's it. That's government censorship right there. It's, it's indirect, but that is government censorship right there. So I like that they're letting the mask fall off. I think it, I think it is going to backfire. And I, I think we're, we're going to end up with more freedom in the United States. In some states, I, I'm not, they really might go the opposite direction. We really might see, I mean, a, a state like, uh, just municipalities, some of these big cities just go completely other whack. That I mean, I can't believe that in Baltimore, such a poor ghetto city, that they are some of the last to get rid of the restrictions. I mean, it makes no sense, but they're just into that authoritarian thing. <laughs> they're into that blind government worship. They don't know better. 
that that's what's gotten them into this hole in the first place. Why not dig the hole a little? They're so scared. They're so scared. So being in Miami, oh my God, it's, it's such a different world. It is, it's such a different world than Baltimore. Being in Florida is such a different world uh, than Baltimore. Um, but uh, yeah, the, some of these states that were already pretty bad that got okay again, they could easily regress. But Miami, he's not regressing, but he's going to run for president. There's no way. He's got, he's got too much uh, uh, skin in the game over there now. Where I mean, if, if if I mean, if every country on earth got scared of Delta, Florida would be the one remaining thing. That that's there's enough people in the United States that are tired of this stuff. That there is going to be a presidential candidate that is going. That's going to be his main thing. I did not give in to the woke mob. I did not give in the fear throughout the entire thing. And so, and even the woman in South Dakota attacks the governor of Florida because she says she's more hardcore than he is, which is good, which is good that someone can say that. that there's no other country on earth where there are politicians that are considered legitimate presidential candidates or prime minister candidates that would dare speak against the virus. In the United States, we have clearly, um, and, and, and so I do hope there are a lot of people that worship the former president. It's, you, you can't compare him to the governor of Florida. The governor of Florida was better with this. Our, our former president, Gave in to fear. He gave in to fear plenty of times. He could have been just like DeSantis. He didn't do it. He cares about what too many people think about him. Fitting in is overrated. And so I, I really hope he does not even try to run for president, that he just lets DeSantis uh, clear the way. Now, again, I don't want to put anybody on a pedestal. I'm, I'm just saying because of the line that DeSantis drew and because of the uh, overreach with censorship that's going on that is completely intertwined with the virus, we've gotten to a point where some people who are on the fence are now waking up and they will never, in certain states, accept those type of lockdowns that we had previously, which were straight out of China and it's forever a stain on the United States of America that even mild lockdowns were accepted, that we went the way of China even a little bit, because it gave China that much more confidence. And wow, had they, they won. They have taken over Australia and New Zealand and all, all these other free countries in terms of the way those people think politically now. They have definitely won that, but not in many states in the United States. So I'm so, I'm so proud of that. And so I, I forgot what the exact question was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's your answer. Fair enough, man. This has been so awesome. I really appreciate it. I've, I've had an incredible time. Please let everyone know where they could find you uh and uh any parting thoughts the mic is all yours yes disruptmeister.com is an easy way to get all my youtube videos or just look up bitcoin meister on youtube most people can't use search engines anymore it's it's really it's really impressive they're that much of slaves that they'll ask you well can you tell me about this and all they have to do is like google in a sentence uh on twitter it's, it's, we live in this world of vast knowledge you can get knowledge so easily but people don't find it. They just go to what is in their feed. There to, some of these people complain about too much power to the social media giants, yet they're the ones mm -hmm. who don't know how to search them out, who just go with whatever the algorithm feeds them. One, one word of advice, do not be an algorithm slave. It's really sim freaking simple. You go to the, the bar on top, you, check, you type in techbalt.com, disruptmeister.com, you go to, to Twitter and instead of just like seeing what people, what your, your feed is telling you to watch, 
You go to individual Twitter pages, treat them like web pages. I go to certain people's pages every day. For me, it's TechBalt, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. And that, that's originally, I came up with that technology Baltimore. I've always been interested in technology in Baltimore. And, um, but it's easy to remember, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T, you can see everything I tweet every day. Most people don't see what I tweet every day because they just, if, if Twitter, even if they follow me, I got 13,000 followers, they don't see it because Twitter doesn't serve it up. They can easily see all the great stuff that I tweet out. I, I'm a very good, um, what's it called? Uh, content. Uh, curator. Uh, curator. Thank God you remember that name. Uh, cur yes. I'm, I'm very, I think I'm a great curator. I give, I give some of the best uh, virus stuff, some of the best, uh, just makes you think type of stuff that that goes on in, in the uh, the Bitcoin space. So, uh, so yeah, my word of advice is in anything you do in life, do not be an algorithm slave. Use your brain. If you ever think you're not using your brain, and you, like just don't just don't click on the next video that YouTube tells you to click on. Search out videos. Go to your you know you subscribe to these people. Go to their pages. It isn't hard. It's on the column on the side. I see who I'm subscribed to, and I'm like, okay, I haven't checked them out for a little while. I'll check them out. Most people they let they have outsourced their thinking, and that is that really sums up with the whole the problem with the world today. They want some expert to tell them how to think, some expert to tell them how to be healthy, some expert to tell them what to be scared of. They've outsourced everything, but we're in a comfortable freaking dystopia. Be in the Bitcoin overlay. You will not be in that comfortable dystopia. It might be a little uncomfortable to use your brain at first, but dude, it is true freedom. So there you go. Don't be an algorithm slave and pound that like button. Pound that like button. Adam, this has been so dope. Uh, Adam Meister, aka the Bitcoin Meister, aka the Disrupt Meister. I really appreciate this conversation so much. Thanks for having me on. I'm going to pause.